It's that time again! Hello, everybody! Happy Friday! Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rory Sauter and the News. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. It is great to be back with all of you. I hope your week is going very well. I hope you have exciting plans for the weekend. Lot to address, lot to establish tonight on the show. Many notable names in attendance. My first guest joining us now is Tom Zywistowski. Um, he's had a hell of a career, uh, quite the life. Um, what a resume. Very excited he's joining us for the first time. Tom, your first time on the program. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that jazz. Sure. Well, very glad to be with you, Rory. Thanks for giving us the time to talk about this important topic. Yeah. Uh, because, as you know, you know, we are in difficult times in our country, and we've got to uh, do some things that maybe we haven't done before. Um, I'm a businessman. Uh, we've owned our own company called TRC Communications for 44 years. Uh, I was totally apolitical, didn't have any interest in politics at all. I took care of my family, took care of my customers, took care of my employees. You know, I voted, didn't donate money, didn't work for campaigns, wasn't interested. Um, the Tea Party came along when uh, Barack Obama was running, and uh, I kind of got drafted into, uh, you know, working in the, in the Tea Party. Uh, the, my home county here in Northeast Ohio is the Portage County Tea Party. And uh, so we started uh, organizing and, and, and trying to understand what the heck was really going on. Why are they trying to force Obamacare down our throats? You know, stuff like that. And uh, things kind of took off from there, Rory. We, uh, the Porch County Tea Party became the largest tea party group in the state of Ohio. We had 2,600 members at one point. Uh, that led me to being uh, drafted to become the head of a thing called the Ohio Liberty Coalition which was unusual. Ohio was one of the few states that had a, uh, a state governing body for the Tea Party. And so I became the president of that. And as part of that, we had decided that we needed to have a convention. We needed to have a state convention where we could organize and train our activists. And so uh, the We the People convention was born in 2011. And uh, it was a huge success. We had it at the convention center in Columbus, Ohio, had 1,100 people attend, uh, all kinds of great speakers like John Fund and Dick Morris and Herman Cain and, you know, Jenny Beth Martin and all kinds of people. And, um, and over the course of the next, you know, 14 years or 13 years, uh, the Weedy People Convention became where I put my focus. Uh, we... Uh, we're mostly, as I said, we're a state organization to begin with, but after the election in 2020, uh, we decided that we would run a full-page ad in the Washington Times asking President Trump, then President Trump, to declare temporary partial martial law and to hold a revote of the federal election. And as you can imagine, that was quite a sensation. Uh, we had over a million people come to our website that day. Um, and that's the day we became a national organization. And since then, uh, we have been fighting the fight. We we literally ran the campaign to elect Donald Trump in Ohio in 2016. We literally 
ran his campaign. People will should remember that our governor in Ohio at that time was a guy named John Kasich, who ran against Donald Trump and hated his guts. And so the Republican Party in Ohio was undermining Donald Trump, not trying to help him become president. And so we ended up taking over his campaign and running it and winning Ohio by 8.2%. We then ran the campaign in 2020, where he won again in Ohio by about the same margin, about 8.4%. And since then, we've just been fighting the fight. And so now we are a national organization of which I'm the president. We have about 100,000 members nationwide. And um, we basically advocate for conservative causes. And we're here today to talk to you about what we're currently doing. And Tom, isn't it fascinating how that one moment, you know, when you made that announcement about, you know, um, challenging the election made you so famous, made your brand and organization skyrocket to the next level. It's quite something. Well, Rory, I'll go further than that. I, I will talk about that you know, God you know, operates in strange ways. I mean, I, I just feel like um, I'm, I'm along for the journey. I, I, I don't, I don't want to take any credit for anything that we've done uh, because I, I really never signed up for this. I tell people I feel like Noah in the Bible. You know, Noah just wants to grow his crops and feed his family, and God keeps saying, build an ark. There's a flood coming. And I keep saying, no, I want to grow my crops and feed my family. He's like, build the ark. And so I feel like I've been building the ark for 15 years. And I have seen, you know, God, you know, play a hand in, in things that have happened. And and I, I don't know, you know, if your listeners are spiritual or not. You don't have to be. But I just want you to know that um, the thing that we're currently working on with this Trump DeSantis ticket, that wasn't my idea. I, I, I last November and December, I'm trying to figure out what the hell can we do to help save our country? And I prayed about it. And I just I always pray to God to help me give me courage and wisdom, help me know what to do and what not to do. And then once I figure that out, have the courage to do it. And this idea of fighting for a Trump DeSantis ticket uh, really became forefront as I started to understand what the left is doing and how our whole election process is completely different than it's been our entire lives. And we have to do something completely different because of that. Yeah. And I love how you're, you're using biblical values and traditions. And I'm a very religious person myself. I was born and raised Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, Catholic yeah, high school. Yeah. Oh, you did too. I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. So you and I have a lot in common in that regard. Um, you know, but going to this whole DeSantis Trump ticket, I think it's really far fetched, and I'll and I'll tell you why. I don't see them putting their differences aside. I think there's two egos there. I, I don't see Ron DeSantis taking a back seat. I don't think Ron DeSantis looks at himself as a as a VP, and I I really don't think that uh, people you know, uh, in, in the establishment that have given Ron DeSantis money, you know, a ton of it would ever want something like that. I mean, so it's, it's tough, it's complicated. And then there's also many speculations and rumors that Trump is going to pick a a female vice president. I don't know if you've heard that, but what are your, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, because I did notice 
and I voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. Um, I think his biggest mistake and the thing that was one of the biggest demises of his can of his candidacy was the Operation Warp Speed. What was that whole scenario that really turned a lot of voters off? But this, yeah. you know, when I look at who he picked as his vice president, a guy like Mike Pence, who's more soft spoken, pretty much listens to whatever he says. I don't see DeSantis being that kind of guy. Uh, it's a different sort of dynamics, if you know what I mean. Okay, so let's take that all apart, okay? And and let's kind of, you know, analyze it. So first of all, he didn't pick Pence because he was passive. He picks Pence because he needed the religious right to vote for him. And that's who Pence brought. It's that simple. He and Tom, told- do, you buy, do you buy into the whole Pence faith, you know, personality? personality? Do you think that's real? Or do you think that's more of a facade and more of a political kind of uh tactic that he's playing because there there are times where i see pence and the way he behaves and what he's done to trump in terms of backstabbing backstabbing him and that's not what a christian would do i mean yeah Yeah, see and that's what you know i mean for instance what was our concern with mike pence well when mike pence was governor uh of indiana right indiana illinois indiana you know he folded like a cheap suit when they passed the rifra law okay the religious freedom law when the left came after him he just collapsed he's a total coward okay so that's the mike pence we knew but, but let's stay on the topic here about DeSantis and, and what's going on so he picked pence because he needed pence to win the election and it, and it worked and I, I was part of that i was i was involved with you know helping the religious get the religious right to vote for trump who i mean again you go biblical you know the worst person you can imagine as a Christian to vote for was Trump, who was an adulterer, was, you know, you know, all the things that he did, but we got him to do that. All right. That's why I say God works in strange ways. Now, it's real simple. I'm not giving you the opinion that Trump and DeSantis need to be the ticket. We, along with our partner, a friend of mine, Larry Ward, who runs the DonRon.com, uh, we want DonRon.com uh, website. We paid Rasmussen to do a national poll. And on April 27th to May 3rd, they polled uh, nationally to find out how does Trump do against Biden? How does DeSantis do against Biden? And how does Trump as president and vice president and DeSantis as vice president do against Biden? How does Trump and uh, Carrie Lake do against Biden and Harris? How does Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene do against Biden and not? It's real simple. When Trump and DeSantis run, it's a 51-43 win. It's the only poll you'll find anywhere where the Republican ticket has over 50%. It's the only poll where there's an 8% margin between any Republican and Biden-Harris. So the, the bottom line is DeSantis and Trump are the winning ticket. That's why we're supporting them. And so people say, oh, it'll never happen. They hate each other and all that. Folks, just go back and look at history. Ronald Reagan did not like George W. Bush in 1980. They hated each other. Bush was the establishment candidate. Bush Sr. Bush Sr. And Reagan was the, you know, the Goldwater conservative. And what happened? They went through the primary, beat each other up. And at the convention, it became, you know, Reagan and Bush. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a horrible thing because Bush hated him and he later destroyed everything that Reagan did. 
So I get that. I don't think Reg. I don't think DeSantis is Bush. Right. I think DeSantis is the future of our party. The reason it's not Tim Scott or some woman or whatever the hell you want is that if you look at the reality, the only living human in America who has done more conservative things than Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis. Bar none, the legislation he has passed in Florida is the MAGA agenda writ large, not executive orders, legislation. We don't need a four-year plan. We need a 12-year plan. We need Trump to win with DeSantis as his VP so that we can do 12 years in a row to restore our republic Fire all the people who are, are communists in our government who hate us, defund the left, and restore constitutionally limited government with public servants, not the ruling class. That's not going to be done in four years. It's going to take 12 years, and that's why you need Trump to Santos. Now, now Tom, Tom, let me ask you this. Um, we were talking about Reagan selecting Bush as his vice president, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes in political history. And I'll tell you why. I don't think Bush Sr. would have ever become president um, if he was, you know, and I don't think W. Bush would have ever became president. So Reagan pretty much created that dynasty, in my opinion. He did win. He won. Right. right? I mean, he, he did it because he needed it to win. Right. And that's why he did it. Now, he could have gotten rid of Bush, you know, the second term. Would you, know, you have if you were in charge? Would I what? Would you have gotten rid of Bush in the second term if you were oh, running the sure. show? For sure. He's a total backstabbing traitor. Yeah. He, you know, he represented, you know, the Rockefellers and all that. Yep. But but again, you know, so this is the dynamic. We have to win in 2024. We have to win, or we will never have the chance again because they're going to destroy any chance for us to have an election. They're going to destroy all of our rights. They're already destroying our rights. So we got to put our best team on the field. But yeah. Rory, it's much bigger than that. Let me let me take you now to a different level. And your, your listeners and viewers, strap on your seatbelts, kids, because we're going to a place you've never been, okay? Mm -hmm. So here's the plan. If you could have had DeSantis not even declare he was running, which we tried to do, by the way, we ran a full-page ad in the Miami Herald this Monday. How much, did, how much did that cost you? Twelve thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now, you can see that ad. All your listeners go to wethepeopleconvention.org. Okay. And right in the first thing you'll see is a button that says Trump DeSantis is the winning ticket. You can click on that. You'll see our press release. You'll see some video. But you can click on the icon in the ad and read it. And the ad starts out, and this is a, a, a facsimile of it. It says, a message for President Trump and Governor DeSantis. Your country needs you to not destroy each other over the next 12 months, but to join together to defeat the Democrats in 2024. And in this ad, it actually addresses President Trump and addresses DeSantis and says, here's why you should do that. So here's why they should do that. We don't have elections anymore, Rory. The left has said the candidate doesn't matter. The issues don't matter. They think they can elect a box of Kleenex. And they proved it with Fetterman and Biden and Hobbs. 
This is machine politics, period. Doesn't even matter who's on the ballot. It yeah. just matters how many ballots you can collect. So here's our problem. The, 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 the Murdochs and the Cokes and the media and the, and the deep state and the never Trumpers, they want us to spend the next 12 months beating ourselves up while they're getting their election machine built for 2024. So what we're trying to push is that if DeSantis and Trump would have joined together, we wanted DeSantis to spend the next 18 months recruiting congressmen, senators in the, in the states, in, in Ohio, excuse me, in all the states, the congressmen and senators to run on 2024 to be MAGA Republicans to vote for the Trump DeSantis team when they became president. Now, why is that important? In our ad, we said to Ron DeSantis, if you want to be president, the fastest way to become president is to become Donald Trump's vice president. Right. Okay? That's the point. Now, if you if you join with Trump and you work to elect congressmen and senators that are going to work with you to pass legislation, when Trump is done in four years, you're going to run for president. You're going to have all of their support. There's no better way for you to become president. But it goes one level deeper. I want your listeners to write this down. Okay, you already wrote down wethepeopleconvention.org. Project. 2025.org. Project2025.org. It is a heritage operation and is being run by a guy named Paul Dance, who was Trump's personnel director at the end of his term. We all know that when Trump won, no one expected it. So he didn't have anybody to appoint to work in the damn government. He only filled like 60% of the 4,000 positions a president can appoint by the time he was done. To avoid that, project2025.org is recruiting right now. People in your audience can go there and apply to work in the next conservative government. We're recruiting 4,100 people, which means you gotta recruit like 16,000, so you have more than one choice for each position. And we are vetting them. And guess what? Then they're training them. You go through a little school online about what it's like to go to D.C., work in the government. How do you deal with the unions? How do you face the media? What's going on? Then they're writing uh, executive orders and position papers for every department. This is what we're going to do in HUD. This is what we're going to do in agriculture. This is what we're going to do in energy. This is what we're going to do in the Small Business Administration. This is the, our agenda. On day one, when Trump and DeSantis walk in and they won and they're sworn in, they are going to say, here's our executive orders. Here's all our people. Let's go to work. That's never been done ever by any Republican. But it sure as hell sounds like what happened when Joe Biden was sworn in, doesn't it? Now, now let me ask you this. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of the polls. Uh, Trump is leading by a lot uh, in these primaries. Yeah. Do you think DeSantis jumping in, uh, in a way, uh, you know, affects him politically in the future? Uh, do you think he alienates any of his fans or any of his supporters? 
Right. And and if right. he doesn't team up with Trump, do you think he has a, a shot at being president in the future? Right. This is the this is the seriousness of this situation. What our enemies want is a murder suicide. They want and, Trump to kill the Santas and then the Santas people to be so upset that Trump can't win. That's what they're trying to do. And it's and DeSantis is our future. I am really, really afraid that this cage fight is going to destroy not only our present, but our future. Uh, you, I mean, it could get really bad, don't you think? I mean, they, they are going back and forth. Like, I mean, this is worse than, you know, when Trump was going after people in 2016 in the primaries. Um I think this is even more of a rivalry than him and Ted Cruz had. Remember, remember that big yeah. back and forth? Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say this. So, again, to your point that you made earlier about, you know, this such nasty stuff and, and, and it, it's really ugly. And, and, you know, you think it could ever happen. I saw uh, DeSantis on Newsmax last night mm-hmm. and, the, and the host asked him, could there ever be a DeSantis Trump or Trump DeSantis ticket? And DeSantis didn't say no. He, he he kind of massaged the thing and said, well, you know, he's kind of moving towards the left and I'm moving towards the right. He didn't say no. Now, let's just remember something real clear. To Donald Trump, this is all a game. This is the art of the deal. Donald Trump could call Rory every bloody freaking horrible name and, and you know impugn your integrity, your your mother, everything. And then if you said I'm gonna vote for you, he'd say, that Rory's a great guy and I'm gonna appoint him to run on. That's Donald Trump. That's him. It's not personal, it's just business. And quite frankly, a lot of the stuff coming out of DeSantis isn't DeSantis, it's his handlers, it's the people that want to go this way. So don't believe that they couldn't come together because they hate each other. Because quite frankly, a year and a half ago, they were like best buds. So let's just, again, God works in strange ways. I'm fighting for this. I need your help fighting for this. If you, if you go to uh, wewantdonron.com, wewantdonron.com, you can sign our petition saying, you know, you want this. And if you go to wethepeopleconvention.org, you're going to see our press release about where we said, we know DeSantis said he's going to run for president. We're still going to push for a unity ticket. Here's why. But mostly, if you just go to wethepeopleconvention.org and use a little search icon and take, put in Project 2025, you'll see an interview that I did with the head of Project 2025, and you'll see the steps you need if you want to work in a conservative government. And Rory... This, this is one thing you may know, you may not know. When our people went to D.C. to work for Trump, the ones who did, it was horrible. These people, I mean, you could be the fourth level guy at HUD and the Washington Post was doing an examination of your social media and, and talking about your, your, you know, your uncle who and, you know, 50 years ago you know, robbed a bank. They attacked you. So... What we need, these 4,100 people have to be patriots. What they've been in the past is like political appointees. They've been people who said, oh, I, I gave money to George Bush, so he appointed me to HUD. And when I get done, I'm going to get a consulting job or I'm going to get a job you know, with some other donor. This is not it. 
if we're going to destroy the left and take the commies out of our country, we are going to have to have patriots, people who can go to D.C. who are like retired and they can't hurt you because that's what happened. If you went to D.C. and you were a doctor and you worked or you were a, an accountant or whatever you were, they destroyed your ability to get a job when you came back. So this is not for the faint of heart. This is real war and we are at war. And we're looking for real patriots at project2025.org. And, and Tom, you know, I always said in Trump's administration, one of his biggest weaknesses, if not his biggest weakness, was surrounding himself with people that didn't have our best interest at heart. A lot of people preventing the America First agenda, um, a lot of globalists. How do we prevent that from happening the next time? Because there were more hirings and firings in that administration than I think we've ever seen in, in politics. Yeah, he really fell under the influence. And, he and does trust he, people, I, I feel, too easily. If anybody gives him any sort of praise, I mean, they're automatically his best friend. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, a, it was horrible. It was just horrible. And remember, folks, remember, look at Donald Trump with clear eyes. The, the Trump you know, business is really small. They they didn't they didn't build an organization. They hired contractors for everything. Their organization is really tiny. His 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 organization to run for president was the smallest you ever saw. He's not that's not a skill set he has of building a big organization. So that's why this project 2025.org is so critical. Because you're basically taking that out of his hands, okay? And you're setting the whole thing up where it's just plug and play. So I guess if you want to make a comparison or an analogy, he's basically using Heritage as the contractor for all the employees that will work in the next administration. That's kind of what he's doing. And, and, and that's, that fits Trump's personality, okay? So that's how we avoid it. We do the work now. But think about it, Rory. This is why. The We the People Convention is working so hard for a Trump to send his ticket and Project 25 now. In the past, you would wait till the guy had got elected and he'd start thinking about this. We don't have time for that. It's going to take us 18 months to find these people. And so this is why it's so important and why, this, why you having me on is so important. Because we've got to get engaged. And the next part of it is, and all your listeners and viewers are, are asking the question, so how do we defeat the cheating? How do we stop what happened in 2020 and 2022? And the, and the answer is we've got to not spend hundreds of millions of dollars attacking each other in a worthless primary that Trump is probably going to win anyway and get Trump and DeSantis together to use that money to build out our organization in the swing states and to have the lawyers in place and the people volunteering and, and, and working in the uh, election of your know, boards in their local communities to fight hand to hand to win the election 2024 because we're not going to win if we don't do that Rory and who's doing that now you see anybody doing that now you heard of anybody doing that now you think Ronna McDaniels and the RNC is going to do that no no they're not no. We're not going to do that. And, and Tom, I have to ask you this, you know, and, and I, I was with Trump from day one. You know, I voted for him in 2016 and 2020. 
And I thought he was doing a great job up until the lockdowns, up until Operation Warp Speed, the uh, endless printing of money, um, not firing Fauci, not firing Burks. Uh, he did raise the debt, you know, in a significant, significantly. I, how, how can he defend this? Um, I mean, I, I've never voted Democrat in my life, Tom, but I'm really leaning towards Robert Kennedy Jr. Because if you listen to him talk, everything he says is conservative. It is spot on. It's right on the money. Uh, there are a lot of Republicans that are like, this guy is on it. I mean, he's going after things and topics that no other politician will even touch talking mm -hmm. about the CIA, the FBI, the federal reserve, you know, uh, nobody has fought harder against big pharma than him. Um, so, you know, your take on this, cause I know if RFK jr got on the debate stage with somebody like Trump or DeSantis, um, I don't think it would go over well. Cause I think RFK would, would go right at them with, with exactly what I just stated with Trump's mistakes with the COVID lockdowns and Operation Warp Speed. And now we're seeing videos resurface from Florida a couple of years ago of Ron DeSantis promoting the same sort of uh, formula. So I want to know your, hear your thoughts on this. Oh, so, you know, I get this question a lot. Okay. Now, first of all, Margaret Kennedy, just like two weeks ago, put out an unequivocal, I will never run with Donald Trump. We are completely. I think he has to say that though, right now. Just He's not that just, kind of person. Kennedy doesn't have to say anything. He they're they're pretty damn independent, as you can tell by him. Okay, so so he's already said that, but he's also you know we all love what he said about COVID. And we love what he says about CIA and all that, but he's not a conservative. He's a he's a he's a classic liberal on the environment, on social programs. You know he he's he's a Kennedy. He's, he's pro. Like he's pro life, though, just like his uncle was. He is pro life. I mean, and there's a lot to like about him, and I he's on our website. And he's, he's anti war. He just came out and said we should we should not be the world police. You yeah. know, calling out the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's even for tariffs. He likes the idea of tariffs and making these other countries pay a price for ripping us off. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty Again, conservative. That's if, that's a Trump if, formula. If his uncle, if his uncle John Kennedy. We're alive today. He'd be a Trump supporter, right? He, he, he would be a Republican. He wouldn't right. be a Democrat, right? So that's what I mean. He's a classical liberal. So, right. so but here's the deal: what happened with COVID and with uh, you know with uh, warp speed and all that is this same thing you just mentioned about Trump not having good people around him, we, like Jared Kushner, and oh, he's rumored to be coming back too. I mean, uh, this is not this is really dangerous having a guy like that who yeah. makes deals with George Soros mm -hmm. and all these other elites uh, in yeah. his. So that's why, listen, personnel is policy. And by doing this project, 2025.org, and literally getting in. Oh, what's happened here? Still there? Uh, hold on. So, so for some reason, it just logged me out of my computer. Uh, hold on. I can still see you. I can, I, I can still see you. I can hear you. Okay, I can't see you at all. You can see me. Yeah, let me take let me take a quick break. We'll come right back with you. Let me take literally a quick wow, this never break. happened before. I'll take a quick commercial. Give okay. me a second. I'm Mike Lindell and I'm excited to announce my new product, my coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, mystore.com. 
And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence and this family owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. Wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took my pillow's patented bill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented my pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, MyPillow 2.0. Just like all of you, I never imagined that MyPillow could get any better. That's why I haven't changed it in nearly 20 years. Then I heard about a revolutionary new technology and I knew I had to bring it to you all. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0 is cooler and softer than the last MyPillow. It is so comfortable to sleep on at night. I look forward to going to bed and I wake up well rested in the morning. Sleep is all about temperature and height. MyPillow 2.0's patented adjustable fill is gonna give you the exact individual support you need from your head to your bed. And now here's where it gets even better. We've all experienced those temperature-related sleep interruptions where you get too hot, you toss and turn, you flip your pillow over to the cool side. Well, all that's gone with my brand new MyPillow 2.0 cooling fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? 
And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back with Tom. Tom, so I, I wanted you to respond to the, I know you wanted to respond to the Robert Kennedy Jr. thing and, and Trump defending the, the lockdowns and the Operation Warp Speed. But I, I want to say something else, Tom. He's still going on interviews, Trump, claiming that he saved 100 million lives with these vaccines. I just wish, Tom, he would, you know, suck up the pride, come out and say, look, guys, I was, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You know, this this was not the right move. I know this has affected millions of lives. It's divided families. It's really created something I, I don't think we've ever seen in our culture. Yeah, that's one of the things that I don't like about Trump, and that is that he never says he's wrong. No matter right. what's wrong, he never says he's wrong. And it's just a philosophy he has that, you know, it's better to just, you know, keep fighting that fight. And I do think we're going to see DeSantis beating him up about that. And there's a lot of us who are Trump supporters who that will be effective against. See, and that's the, that's the problem with all this. And, and again, it goes back to policy and personnel. I mean, the problem we had was that Trump did not have people around him who believed in what we believed in, right? Right on the gate, they got rid of Mike Flynn. They got rid of Steve Bannon. They got rid of all the people that were MAGA. And so by that time, He's surrounded by these people. I'll never forget, it was about Easter, and we felt we had Trump convinced to lift the the, the you know, lockdowns, that that it was, you know, the, the two weeks to, you know, solve the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the whole virus thing and all that, and it was going on and on. And he had committed to, in the background, the Christian conservatives basically had got him to commit to open things back up. And that's when Fauci, and Brex and those guys got him cornered on a weekend and lied to him about how many people would die and, and, and how serious this was. And we were so disappointed because we knew they were lying to him and they just set him up. So, again, you can be angry for Trump for doing that. But I but if you look at the circumstances, it's it's amazing he fought back as much as he did. Think about when he talked about uh, using uh, you know these uh, the uh, ivermectin and and quercetin and things like that. Hydrochloroquine, yeah, the different alternatives. Yeah, he was right. And then they beat the crap out of him, and his own people beat the crap out of him. The guy was in an, a horrible environment. I'm not making excuses. It was what it was. And, and God, I hope to hell there's criminal prosecutions coming because it's way worse than we even know now. But the one thing that Trump did do is he, he wasn't afraid 
to get out of Paris peace accords, to, to make Jerusalem the capital, to close the border, to, to go to North Korea, to tell China we're gonna we're not gonna accept this crap. Yeah. So here's something that you gotta remember. Why do we want Trump to us? Why do we want 12 years? The first part of renovation is what? Destruction. The first demolition. The first part is demolition. To get someone to demolish the federal government, they can't be someone who needs to be reelected because you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of people angry. You're gonna make a lot of enemies. So the one-two punch is for Trump to come in and say, "You bastards, you got me the first time, but I'm coming for you now, Christopher Ray and Garland and all the people in the FBI and the DOJ and the DC courts." And guess what? We're gutting it all. We're tearing it down. We're doing that, uh, you know, re, uh, prioritizing all the employee statuses so we can fire them. And then you got a DeSantis who can follow up with what he did in Florida, legislation to defund the left. Folks, make it, it's, make it real clear to all of your listeners. The left only exists because we fund them. We fund them. We give, we give them all kinds of money to attack our country. If you cut that off, they're done. They disappear. The one way people say, how can you defeat the left? They're so powerful. And, and that's the answer. They're living off of our money. If we stop giving them our money from the government, that's why Biden's you know fighting about the debt ceiling. He's trying to protect all the people that are going to go out and elect him in 2024. That's what the fight's about. It's about money and power. Trump demolishes the deep state and and and, and gets our government to a level it should be. And then DeSantis is, backs it up with legislation and becomes the conservative president that we all want and think he can be. That's my vision. You can criticize it, but do I got you, the future. It is a better plan. Tom, do you worry, though, of the possibility that DeSantis, you know, let's just let's just say hypothetically, Trump does select DeSantis as his vice president. Do you worry that when Trump leaves, uh, DeSantis may get caught up with the wrong people, bought out by the establishment, and basically turn into a globalist type of individual, kind of like W. Bush and the Bushes? I, I I've read his bio. Okay. I mean, look at his record, though. You got to go back to Congress and look at some of the things that he voted on. I mean, it wasn't always rainbows and butterflies. I mean, he did cave to a lot of rhino policies. It wasn't, but he but he was definitely on our side. He was not, you know, Lindsey Graham. He was not, you know, somebody like that. And he's learned a lot. And now he's been a governor, which is a key thing, because then you've been an executive. And what has he done in Florida? He has surrounded himself with good people. Right. That's really a good thing. That's what I want to see. They, there's no leaks that come out of the DeSantis administration. So with him being the vice president for four years, us recruiting 4,100 people of your listeners to be in government, you're going to kind of have some checks and balances on this ability to just go rogue and say, you know, I, I really am a phony and I'm not who I said I was. I don't, I don't think that's highly likely at all. Now, anything can happen, but the reality is, I think DeSantis is who he says he is. I think actions speak louder than words, okay? And 
there's no the guy just outlawed he just banned central bank digital currency yeah who the hell's big. done that that's big. any other state nobody's done that yeah. you think the wef likes that you think the cokes and the murdoch's like that oh and and, Ro- and, Ro- and robert kennedy jr has come out strongly against against uh the whole digital currency uh, you know, universal digital currency, all, all all that sort of communism ideology, and he's all for Bitcoin. He's all for crypto. He's all for these sort of markets, which is which is really good. And you know, never he's never been an executive. He's never run a state. He's never been run for national office. And by the way, but neither did Trump though. Neither did, neither did Trump though. And when he loses as a Democrat, he can't run as a Republican. Once you run in the primary in a party, you cannot switch to be on the ballot with the other party. He can't even run as an independent. And they're going to destroy him in the Democratic Party primary. They've already said they won't even let him debate. So I understand why you like Robert F. Kennedy, Rory, and there's a lot to like. But his ship is already sailed. But Tom, I saw a poll that recently came out that showed him statistically tied with Biden. I don't buy that. I mean, there there are people. I mean, I, I just saw that 75% of Democrats, according to a CNN poll, do not want Biden to run again. So what's their other what's their alternative? I mean, oh, yeah. the, and we all know just with the Kennedy name alone, that will draw a lot of voters. I mean, a lot of these Democrats, I will say this, they don't even necessarily look at the policy. They'll just see Kennedy and they'll see a D. And they'll be, you know, they'll have the mindset that we're done with Biden. We can't do this anymore. I mean, I wish he was running as an independent because that would really help us because a lot of Democrats would vote for him. That's why they're so afraid of him, that they're going to do to him what they did to Bernie Sanders. And I I, and I will I will say this, you know, in regard in regards to his candidacy, um, I mean, I'm seeing people in every sort of political atmosphere come out and really just praise this guy and really, you know, uh, give him, giving him lots of support. Um, well, it's interesting. There's a lot to like because of the COVID stuff. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've read his book, you know, yeah. the, about Fauci. It's a powerful book. I've read it. You know, he's definitely right on a lot of issues, but that's not enough to make you president of the United States. Okay. I mean, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, big part is money. It's money. How much money does it take to become president? It costs a billion dollars. So, you know, these are the forces that are at play that we have to work within. And so that's why Trump DeSantis makes the most sense, because combined, they've got the money, the experience, right? And the and the right viewpoint of the world that we want of conservatives to, you know, take our country back and restore it. And so Maybe Robert Kennedy could be appointed by Trump and DeSantis to, you know, who knows? Maybe had the uh, the, the uh, um, FDA or the NIH. How would that be? I'd like that. Yeah, and and, and I and I want to mention you said that Kennedy had no experience. Neither did Trump, though. I mean, Kennedy has been a C, a CEO. He's ran a lot of businesses. He's written many books. Look at what he did with the Hudson River. Yep. You know, he, he's got a, a big track record, a big resume to run on, I believe. Yeah, well, see, but here's, here's the thing. 
And all the Republicans, this is the one problem we all have. The people who love Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and, and you name whoever they want. It's real simple. Donald Trump was uniquely qualified because he did what he did in New York City. And he, he dealt with the media for five decades. And he was a top-ranked TV host, okay? So that name ID and that, you know, The Apprentice and all that stuff was no small factor. It wasn't insignificant, Lori. That's, that, that's, that's a deciding factor. So, and again, Robert F. Kennedy's speech disability doesn't help him. That's not an easy thing to get through. I, you know, he's on our website. Go look at the, listen to the one hour thing nice. he did in Hillsdale. It was beautiful, but it's hard to listen to. We're in a visual and spoken world. And Donald Trump is a master of presentation. So I, I get it. I've already conceded. Robert K has got a lot to like. We'd like to see him appointed to a position in the federal government. But as far as being a VP, he doesn't want to. He can't. He's ineligible to. And it's not going to happen. It's way less likely than Trump and DeSantis. And you and you said uh, I do got to get to my next guest here in a second. Um, I have J I have JC Shepard and Greg Dixon in the in the green room. Um, but Tom, I, I do I do want to mention um, this crowded primary field. What do you make of it in the Republican Party? There's a lot of people jumping in. I mean, what do you what do you? Um, yes. It's a, what are these people thinking? What, what makes them maybe think? they're hoping for cabinet positions? I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people, you know, jockeying for position. The problem is it's a distraction for us from the job of winning. So at wethepeopleconvention.org, you can see why we talk about these, these problems we have, that Project 2025 is what we should be focused on. If these people want to apply for a job, go to project2025.org and apply for the job. But, but don't waste millions of dollars that we could be using hiring people to go door to door and collect ballots in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Nevada instead of you just, you know, getting your 20 minutes of fame to be on stage with Donald Trump while, while he destroys you. It's just, it's just stupid. And that's the problem. That's why they say the Republicans are the party of stupid. We're fighting evil. The left is organized. They're focused. And they know where they, they put their emphasis. It's about getting the ballots in. Who's doing that on our side? What about some of these people sending their millions of dollars instead of running for president saying, I'm going to organize the effort in Pennsylvania? I'd like to see that. No, I, I hear you, Tom. And before before I let you go, I just got two, la two last quick questions for you. First off. I mean, I know it's a witch hunt, obviously. I know they've gone after him time and time again. They've never found anything. Uh, they've got like four or five investigations opened up right now against Trump. Yeah. What if, for some reason, they do um, charge him, even though it, it will be bogus and uh, and he does, you know, get indicted and he does get sentenced? Then does DeSantis just get to become president? I mean, what, what, what do you... And that's to me, that's kind of why I really would like to see us and Trump together because now you've got a backup plan. Now you, you know, you've got someone who can step in and you're still on the same track. And see, here's the other thing it's, it's Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Rules for Radicals, yep. They're going to isolate you and destroy you, right? Well, now if Trump and DeSantis suddenly say we're running together, you're diffusing that, you're splitting it. 
Now you got these 4,100 people you're recruiting to run these agencies. And every two weeks for the next 18 months, you're saying, hey, let me introduce you to Rory Sauter, who's going to run you know, the FCC. And here's his resume. And here's the guys that are working for him. And this is what they're going to do. The, the, you know, the eye has to shift from Trump and the Senate to those people. They can't destroy 4,100 people. That's how you win against the left. You diffuse their message. You make them impotent, okay? Right. And that's what our plan is. Right. Unfortunately, Republicans aren't thinking like this. And, and I, I got like what one or two, like one other question for you. Let's just say Kennedy did run as an independent. Um, what would, would that look like? What would that look like to you? Yeah, he would. He would take. I would guess probably twenty to thirty percent of the Democratic vote. I really? think he would take a big chunk. He, it'd be a Ross Perot moment. I mean, what, really would. Do you think he could be more effective and get more votes than Ross Perot? He, he's right in that area. I mean, I don't know if he could get to 25%, but he could certainly get, you know, to 20. I, I think there's that many people who, you know, remember the Kennedy name and, and would vote for it. And, and, and let's just say hypothetically, he's the Democrat nominee. Do you think he could win the election? That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't think there's a chance he could be the Democrat nominee because they rigged their their whole thing, okay. But in terms of popular, in terms of popularity, if it was fair and square, don't you think he would be the Democratic nominee? I don't know that yet. That's not clear yet. The surveys, the polling doesn't show that yet. I mean, right now, you know, he there's he's you know people are surprised he's in double digits, okay. But that's a long way from fifty percent. So right. that's not clear that that he would get those votes. Remember, the radical left is are not liberals. They're leftists. They're communists. Yeah. He's not a communist. So, yeah. you know, th that that's where the problem becomes. All those college indoctrinated, you know, women in, in suburbs, they're going to have a hard time because they 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 want abortion until the time of birth. They want, you know, uh, you know, racial equity and all that crap. And and John Robert F. Kennedy Jr. isn't going to give that to him. No, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, I, I've always said that if somebody's going to talk about the dangers of the vaccines, and the dangers of what went on with this scamdemic, it needs to be somebody like Robert Kennedy with, with a D next to his name, the, you know, being a Democrat, because the, these Democrat voters won't listen to a Republican telling them that because they're going to say, oh, this is a radical right, right Republican. We can't trust anything, they, trust anything they say. So it helps if it comes from a Democrat, if that makes sense. No, 100%. And that's why you saw, was it CBS that he was doing the interview? Where they cut out the whole part about you know Fauci and COVID, they're yeah. censoring him. They're, again, they're not going to let there be debates. Joe Biden's not going to appear on a say. You're not going to see Joe Biden in the in the election at all, at all. He could be dead, and they'll still elect him. Okay, that's what we're facing. It's total machine politics. It's not about issues and policies or or candidates. Yeah. They have reduced it to. We're going to collect the ballots we need to keep power, whether we have to print them, whether we have to you know, uh, rig the machines, whether we have to put illegal voters in the voter rolls, whatever it takes. They say that openly. Trust them. Believe them. They mean what they say. We are in World War III fighting communists to, to, who are trying to take our country, and we're on the brink. And we need to have a different plan than we've ever had before, or they're going to take over 
and, and we won't be having this conversation because you won't be able to be on the air and I'll be in prison. It's yeah. I mean, it's interesting times. And to conclude here, uh, Tom, uh, you're the president of we, the people convention, um, which you guys have how many events a year with all these big names? Well, we, we used to have a convention every year. I haven't had one since COVID because that interrupted things. So we, my podcast is our main thing. If you go to wethepeoplekonvention.org, I do a weekly podcast where I, I actually give people things to do that will help us fight for freedom and liberty. So you can go to our website. It's right on the front page. You can see the podcast. You know, But, but just remember, no one's going to save us, Rory. Trump's not going to save us to Santa's Robert F. Kennedy. We, the people, have to save us in the school boards, you know, in the city councils, in the in the governor's races. It's up to us because no one's representing us right now except for us. So remember that it's up to us to take action. No one's going to save us. And it says you're also the president of the Ohio Citizens PAC and the executive director of the Portage County Tea Party. How's that all going? Both of those. Great. I mean, we in Ohio, we were a purple state when we took over. We had a Democrat governor, a Democratic Secretary of State. And since the Tea Party, you know, grew up in the you know 14 years ago, we are now as red as can be. Every state officeholder is a Republican. We have super majorities in the House and Senate. We have uh uh you know, our Supreme Court is controlled by the Republicans. We are as red as red can be, except we don't act like it. We have too many rhinos, and um, and that's a problem. But you know, the fight goes on on a, on a, a community by community basis. But it just shows you, all your listeners, that it can be done because we did it. Yeah. And, and Tom, I, I do have to ask you this, and then I, I do have to let you go. Uh, you're the CEO and founder of uh, Nanette, uh, which is of TRZ Communications. Real, real quick. Um, you know, in about 30 seconds, tell everybody what the day-to-day operations are there. Yeah, TDRZ Communications, I actually uh, invented the services that uh, many of you are familiar with when a school is going to be closed because of weather or, you know, some sort of an outage or something like that. Uh, We created a thing called Pre-K-12 Notification back in 1989, where the principal picks up the phone and calls all the parents and we deliver that. We invented that. Um, You know, we have a service called TeamLine, which was before there was an internet, you could call on the phone and listen to every NFL game, NBA game, Major League Baseball game on the phone on our team line service. And we had exclusive contracts with all the major leagues. So my background was in communications and in in computers. And that's aided me a lot in developing our success, you know, in the the Patriot movement. So God acts in strange ways. Never thought I'd be doing this. Never thought I'd be talking to you, but I'm sure glad I had a chance today, Rory. Yeah, it's been an honor, sir. It's been a true pleasure. You know, keep up the great work. God bless you. And I'm in technology myself. I've been in technology for about 10 years. I build apps. I build artificial intelligence, virtual reality, everything, you know, at this point. We're really going into the most exciting times. Uh, Technology is more evolved than ever before. It's great. Rory, you know, the AI thing is very scary. But the good side is very good. I actually have a proposal to write an AI bot that would look at the Ohio um, website for the, for the state house and the state senate and actually automatically do a ranking 
of your representatives voting so you could see it because it doesn't exist now. If you're in Ohio and you want to know how your House member votes, you couldn't find out if your life depended on it. But an AI bot could do that, and we would put that on our Ohio Citizens Pack website. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Very, very impressive. And Tom, tell everybody where they can find you, get involved. Yeah, I'm on all the social media, you know, except for Facebook. I'm on Twitter and, and Truth. And all that. It's Tom Z WTPC. Okay, that's my handle on MeWe and then on, on Getter and, and Gab and all that. And then our website is wethepeopleconvention.org. And you'll see videos and you'll see stories. You'll see a press release by from me today where I call for Congress to completely defund and close all the D.C. courts because they've proven themselves corrupt by the uh, you know sentencing of the Oath Keepers. And we're actually calling for all the Washington, D.C. circuit courts to be closed down and defunded. That's a press release on my website right now. Wow, man. You're working on so much stuff, man. So much stuff. I love it. Keep it up, man. And we will get you back here very soon. I'd love to be back on with you, Rory. Thank you for what you do. You are the new media. People are watching and trusting you. They aren't watching Fox anymore. They're watching Rory. I really appreciate the kind words, my friend. God, God, God bless you, man, and we'll talk soon. Cheers, man. Thank you. Bye now. All righty. I do want to welcome the show, and we're going to be going here to Christian Watson here uh, shortly, and we also have uh, Greg Dixon. But J.C. Shepard, joining the show for the first time. It's an honor to have you here, my friend. First and foremost, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Sure. Thanks, Rory, for having me. And that was a fantastic interview with Tom. I mean, uh, I have to send him some pierogies because I think he's Polish with that last name. Yeah. And me being in Pittsburgh and Polish myself, uh, yeah. but what a true patriot. So um, fantastic. But um, yeah, so yeah uh, obviously, I just said we're in Pittsburgh. Um, I actually worked in IT for a while. I did look a, at least a little bit of your background. And um, how I actually got started in what I'm doing now with free speech, social media and building apps is... Um, and again, Tom touched on a lot of this with COVID and you touched on it with, um, of course, you know, um, COVID restrictions and things on the Kennedy angle. But um, so I worked at uh, a company, I can say it, Allegheny Health Network and um, Highmark, which is a very big, I, I believe that uh, Tom would know who they are out in um, Ohio. But um, it's the second largest insurer um, outside of um, UPMC in Pennsylvania. And um, I was on a team that was, spearheading COVID testing uh, at the end of 2019. And I was the one that actually went to the doctor's offices and set these, you know, testing protocols up in our system. And um, also we were a liaison with uh, health departments, every county that was, you know, around this area where we're located. And after about seven or eight days of these tests that we administered, um, I got personal calls and texts from doctors saying, we're not giving these tests anymore because those tests were testing for any single type of coronavirus and going out, calling them positive to the health departments, which it's fraud. I mean, it, it, I don't think they meant to do it, but it's something that got so many people up in a panic when you're saying, oh, you're, you're COVID positive now. And, um, you know, that was it. That was that was the world at that time. So um, I went to my superior stating that this is something that I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable having my name on this. And uh, I ended up just leaving. And then starting this, um, you know, around the same, not the same time, but about four or five months later after that, that's when um, uh, Donald Trump was banned from Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking if the president of the United States can be banned on social media, somebody needs to step up and do something. 
Yeah, and and so talk about this. So, and we all saw on these networks they were skewing the numbers in so many different ways. I mean, obviously this was coming this was coming from these facilities that you're referring to among many other places, you know, hospitals, stuff like that, doctors offices, but elaborate a little bit. Well, I mean, one of the main things too that really got me very uh let's just say weirded out by this um we found out about the fact we were going to be doing this this project in September of 19. No one, COVID was not in existence in September of 19. Wow. And yeah, so it, there, there's a lot to it. And, you know, I have a lot of inside information on that aspect, but um, I just don't know how much I could legally talk about on that end. But um, it, it's sure enough. I mean, if you, um, if nobody woke up through what we just all lived through, and that's on every side of the political equation here and every spectrum. Uh, I don't think anybody will ever wake up at this point because it is, um, it is unbelievable. And it's, it, the writing's basically on the wall right in front of you about how we were duped. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and 2019, <laughs> um, you talk about that and there has been many stories and articles and different things that have come out saying this was, already in the making this was already planned you know this didn't just happen by accident i mean they you know and we saw in video years ago you know uh, i think what was it um definitely in trump's first term between 2016 and 2020 we saw fauci and bill gates come out and talk Mm -hmm. about how there's going to be another big pandemic coming very soon yes um yeah that everybody should be ready for so i mean it's like yeah, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. No, I mean, you really can't. And I, I understand some things can be said. And certainly, you know, when when Fauci did say that Donald Trump is going to have a pandemic on his hands, I mean, that's that's a little bit too specific, if you know what I mean, to actually be a coincidence. Right. So, um, but I mean, you know, I, again, going back to your last interview, I, again, it was fantastic. Um, I totally agree with you in the fact that Fauci should have been fired. Burke should have been fired. Um and, you know, unfortunately, though, I do believe that his hands were tied at that point in time, because if he did not do what I'd say 85 percent of the world actually thought was the right thing at that point in time, he would have been chastised, ousted um, and never would have had an even a, a remote chance in 2020. And how do you feel about people like, you know, we talked about his cabinet, you know, the crooks and the people that were misleading him. Alexander Azar, you know, a big pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. lobbyist was running a lot of the show as well. He never got rid of him. All he did was boost him up and praise him. Trump said how great of a guy he was, how great of a job he was doing. It's, It's really bad how Trump is so trustworthy of these people that don't have his best interest at heart. Um, it really has messed with a lot of lives. No, I, I certainly agree with you there. I mean, and I think that it comes back to the point where, you know, you said it yourself, he was never involved in politics before. So, um, you know, running organizations, obviously the man has been uber successful. I mean, um, he did take his father's business, but he turned it into something that was, Massive. you know, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, basically a small, what million dollar loan and turned it into a billion dollar empire. I'd say yeah. that's pretty impressive. And in, I mean, and, and Tom said it too. People always want to say, well, he had daddy's money. Right. Um, you know, he may have had a tiny bit of help, but he took that little bit of money and created a, a huge giant masterpiece that very little, if any, could accomplish. 
You know, he yep. uh, was quite something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, the fact that he did it in New York City, uh, that's what, you know, Tom had stated too. Uh, it's it's impressive. I mean, it's it's not very easy to be successful in New York City. It's just not. And um, he he crushed that. And, uh, you know, um, he, he legitimately, st he started a lot of other things. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people say it now, and it is the right thing to say. And I think maybe it's Trump, um, just how he was as president actually kind of coined this phrase, not specifically him, but running the United States is a business, plain Absolutely. and simple. It's a, and, it's a CEO job to yep. do anything proper, to do anything right. You need to have the economics 100% in line and as the top priority. Otherwise, forget about it. No, you're 100% accurate. Yeah. No, and uh, as you were saying, though, the whole CEO thing. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I just think specifically that, uh, you know, running back to um, 20, I, I know yeah, I, I, uh, when I was in studio the other day when you were um, on with, uh, I believe it was Tim Murphy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that, that's when I first heard you say, yeah, yeah. yep, yeah, again, he's Pittsburgh. It's great. So, um, but uh, I remember you were talking specifically about, you know, um, you know, that you've never voted Democrat in your life, but you're very impressed with Robert Kennedy. And I, I think there is a lot of great things there, but, you know, I, I don't know the companies that he's ran, Nori. I'm sorry. I, I'm a little bit ignorant on his background, but, um, you know, the Trump name is business. Absolutely. You know, it literally is just synonymous with business. And, you know, obviously there's some arrogance, there's some ego. And I, I think that, I mean, I, I certainly don't have an ego and I, I mean, at least I don't think so. But, um, you know, I, I think that what he's been through and this, this is way before he was president. I mean, I mean, he was vilified in the middle. Um, I'm sorry, the media all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think he needed that little bit of arrogance to be quite honest with you. I just wish we would have seen that happen in the, in the COVID area uh, a little bit and him push the people out that needed to be pushed out. But uh, I think uh, seriously, CEOs, I think every single president that we ever elect or even politicians should have that type of background. And in regards to, you know, his social media rants and some of the just crazy shit <laughs> that he says on a regular basis, I mean, I do find it amusing. I find it entertaining, some of it. But other times I'm just like, where is this even coming from? This makes no sense, you know, and, and what's he trying to gain out of this? You know what? If I could even if I could even know 1% of what's going on in Donald Trump's mind, I'd probably be way more successful than I am. But, I mean, it's just, to be quite honest with you, I, I think that he was a fantastic president. And Absolutely. I think that he would. I think he will be a fantastic president again. I, I just think that in all seriousness, you have to delegate to other people and the trust size of things. I mean, we're, we're learning. I mean, I think we all knew it all along about, you know, the FBI and how they were dealing with him, USDOJ, um, all these, obviously Hillary Clinton. Um, I mean, they're, they're weaponizing, uh, you know, the USDOJ against our people, uh, us being one of them. And, um, it's it's absolutely insane to me because we literally uh, at, at Wimkin, um, I started this platform in August of 2020. By January of 21, we were banned in the app stores. We were blamed for the insurrection. Then we got um, two demands from Benny Johnson himself on the select committee. And, you know, they wanted every single piece of information, Rory, from our users, not any specific people. They wanted every single thing we had on our platform. They wanted to know our algorithms, which we don't have. They wanted our messages, which we don't have, you know, inter interpersonal messages between, you know, users because um, we have an encrypted messenger system. And we basically told them we cannot help you and really wouldn't anyways. 
But um, I mean, the the fact the facts we've seen this and and the fact that uh we have the Restrict Act coming out now. I mean, it's it's scary times. Oh, it's very it's very scary. And, and explain explain a little bit more about the Restrict Act. I haven't read <laughs> enough about it. Um, you know what? And I honestly think it's going to pass. But I mean, relatively, what it is is so I, I believe there. I should know this, but there's about seven countries that they designate as foreign adversaries. And that's when national security will get involved and, and shut down any type of, you know, any type of foreign activity that's going to come into this country to hurt um, and affect national security. So now a lot of people label this as the TikTok bill or a TikTok ban, which I'm fully for 100 um, percent on that aspect, because you cannot be. I don't think people realize how how serious that side of TikTok is. I mean, uh, it just came out, I think, four days ago that they let CCP engineers write the app write the technology and that you probably do know that the fact that um tiktok isn't at least that version of tiktok is not allowed in china i mean they don't they don't allow it so it's like they're setting americans up not just to fail but they have your facial recognition they have your fingerprint if you're using these things to get in your phone just think about how powerful and how scary that is first and foremost then they have your banking passwords so if we ever do get into a war with china we are really really behind the eight ball here and I, I've heard the TikTok argument quite a bit. And, and to be honest with you, I see where many people are coming from. But I also make the argument that what about Facebook? What about Twitter? What about all these other social media companies that have sold out to China that are constantly tracking and taking our data? I mean, don't you think it's pretty much in a lot of ways the same thing? I mean, because I don't, I don't consider Facebook, Twitter – uh, I mean, Twitter may be a little more more now, obviously, that Elon owes, owns it more American. But the, the, these companies like Facebook, Google, all this other stuff, Apple, uh, they are not our friends. They are not America first. They no. are globalist corporations. And, and there's been stories about them selling our data constantly. So how do you separate the two with, with the whole TikTok uh, and these other, other platforms? Obviously, you know, you just said that TikTok was built – by the CCP, but the CCP has, like I said, heavy influence with Facebook. Uh, you know, they have with Twitter in the past, uh, Instagram, even even LinkedIn. I'm reading, and mm -hmm. Google, of course, Apple goes on and on. Yeah, no, I mean, so I would realistically, the only way to separate. I mean, I, I we use Facebook to to um to market uh, Wimkin, of course, because Wimkin is structured essentially like a Facebook, like a Twitter, like a YouTube and a TikTok combined. And um, I think that's why the select committee so us, or, or hit us so hard and the app stores hit us so hard because they saw how many ways, I guess, people could um, disseminate information on our platform. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would say that, I mean, Facebook is absolutely data intrusive. I mean, um, you know, you're, you're going to, any, it seems like even when you speak, like you and I are having this interview now, if we talked about, let's say, let's say beer or something like that, I don't know what we would talk about, but, um, you know, it, the things, on the news feed. yes, yes. So you have all the, I know you build AI, which is great, yes. but I mean, it's like, it's seriously, it, it, you're at this point where Facebook knows every single thing about you and they are in conjunction with Apple and Google, even though I know they, they try to let's just call it a pissing contest because they, you know, they want to see who's the biggest and who's the best, but um, none of them are great. I mean, I'll be straight up honest with you. We were banned by Apple for eight months. They wanted us to um, moderate content. And we said, no, we're not moderating content. I mean, 
Now, we do moderate nudity, pornography, and any type of, you know, criminal threats, of course, but that's it. I don't think there's really should be anything else, um, you know, moderated on social media. If you want to talk about a vaccine, if you want to talk about anything you want to talk about that's not actually going to, you know, put anybody in danger, um, you know, it, it, it should be allowed. But that narrative and the fact that, you know, I, I would say that they legitimately have 2 billion real users on um, on Facebook. I mean, there, there's so many bot accounts when they have all these signups, but... Um, you know, it's when they push something that you're on for, I mean, some people spend 15 hours a day on that. They really do on their social media. So it's really controlling here. It really is. And you say, oh, I saw this on Facebook or this is, you know, what they're allowing. And, you know, people just think that's the way to, to go about life. And it, it just is not. You'd have to you have to figure these things out for yourself. No, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, in regards to your new social media um, company. So when they banned you, did they give you much information on why, or was it very, very short, very vague, not, not giving you, you know, much to work with? I mean, was it, how did that all go down? So essentially we got, we got a notice about one day before they were going to ban us stating that you need to moderate content. And it was mostly specify which kind of content. So, yeah, they, they sort of did, to be honest with you. Um, it was somebody had posted something on our site. It was the Million Militia March that um, no, it wasn't violent. It wasn't anything that we would have removed. Um, but they took it as us allowing a militia to organize to go stop the Biden. Um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, inauguration. So um, I was about to say insurrection there. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it, that that's basically what they did. And, you know, we said we're not doing it at, at this point. I mean, we did remove the one group of members because we did find some stuff in there that, that you know, was a little bit stomach turning to me too, you know, um, stating we're going to hang this person and stuff like that. You know, now if you, if you want to give an opinion on somebody, that's fine, but you can't, you certainly can't threaten someone's life. You can't threaten harm. You know what I mean? So um, I will, I will certainly draw the line there, but you know, uh, Google play, they banned us three days after Apple, um, but it was more or less due to the um, I'd say mainstream media. The only, the only media that, treated us fairly Rory was uh the Wall Street Journal and um they they actually gave us a fair and balanced uh rundown stating that you know they really didn't think there was anything wrong with the post that we got banned for but and and one and above and beyond there too I found things from the ACLU on Twitter um I used to have 700,000 followers on there and got banned of course um and I can't get that account back unfortunately but um so, but they, the ACLU is basically telling people to go in, screenshot things that they thought were against policy and send them to the app stores to get us banned. The ACLU doing that. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's mind boggling. And you guys waited eight months, stood your ground, and then they just um, allowed you back in? Yep. Here's the only thing we took out. We took out uncensored from our name. That's what they ended up saying. Okay, this is all you need to do at this point. I mean, I, I'm talking about, I work with them for, in that eight month period, probably I'd say 40 phone calls and probably about 300 hours worth of time. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's funny, but they said, okay, we're just going to go after your marketing now. That's it. Because we had uncensored in our name. It was Wimkin Uncensored Social Media. And I agreed to do that because we're not totally uncensored. Like I just stated, we, we don't allow pornography. We don't allow graphic nudity. And we don't allow you know any type of criminal elements. So I, I agreed with that, and uh, that was the only thing that we were banned for it, when it's all said and done at this point in time, because they agreed that 
on no extra content moderation policies or anything of that nature. And but basically, what they were trying to do, Rory, was dictate what people were seeing. Yeah. And, and JC, I, I do have like a, a few minutes left with you. I got to get to yep. Christian Watson in the green room, and I, I love interviewing you. I got to get you back here so I can oh, sure. talk, to, talk to you a lot more. Um, I, I want to bring up the fact that, you know, when you were noticing this whole situation going down in the healthcare industry and seeing all this COVID testing fraud, are we going to see these people ever pay a price? Are we going to see Hunter Biden pay a price? We know the incentive <laughs> and all the money they were receiving. I mean, there this was all about the Benjamins. There's no doubt. No, you know what? You you hit that on the head. I mean, to be honest with you, I personally think that I don't know if my company was somehow complicit in this or they did this on purpose. I think it was seriously just an oversight. But when it when it got to the point where it was that was the only I mean, you had a live death tracker on every single channel. How did they get that information, by the way? How are they actually sitting there and saying, oh, are the hospitals calling and saying another person died? Did they have a ticker that was going into each media? Like, you have to really put that in perspective to think what was really going on. And for us to have those tests start, you know, coming into us in September and things, I, I would love to see people pay a price for it because let's be honest here. It, it destroyed many people's lives. It took many people's lives from suicide, from addiction. From so many different aspects, you know, people losing their their life uh, long businesses over this, you know, restaurants that couldn't survive. So I would love it. I don't think we'll ever see it. I, I think I think we have a better chance of seeing Hunter Biden get indicted before um, we see anybody for COVID. And it says you have nine million users. Yep, we do. We actually um, we were number one on the app stores. When we were banned. Uh, you know, um, we were banned, like I said, three days after Parler. We were always top 10. Um for about the first four months that we were actually in uh in the app stores so um but yeah we have we have uh about seven hundred and fifty thousand daily active people that actually are coming in and signing in and things of that nature so i don't want to be misleading in terms of our numbers but um you know we have we have very active people um you know if you get on wimkin uh rory it, it, we have a lot of different features you could stream this to us you could stream your entire show there for free wow. and yeah it'll it'll watch a lot you can upload uh 50 gigabyte videos. So I don't know how long this pat or um, how big this actually comes out to be. Um, I know you use uh, Restream, but um, you know it's something that you can just you can upload right to our our, our site. And it, it again, it works like a YouTube, it works like a Facebook, it works like a Twitter, and a TikTok. Uh, we have Reels, we have everything. And how long did it take you to build this? About seven months, to be honest with you, and a lot of headaches and a lot of probably crying, if I can even say that. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, it was, um, you know, you know tech. So, um, and then most of it was actually, once we had the code and everything built out, it was more finding the right infrastructure for it as we, you know, kept getting so many people to to join. And, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, you probably know this, you know, very firsthand, but the amount of queries we have in our database, yeah. you know, per second are insane. So um, you get the bottlenecks, you get some things like that. And we had to really find the best, um, the best way to work that through. And, Unfortunately, you know, like using a Cloudflare or something would be great for us, but Cloudflare wanted to charge us, I want to say like $19,000 a month uh, just to have that firewall in front because we wanted, I don't want people to have the ability to upload only 200 megabyte videos, you know, six minute videos here and there, which is what you'll have on your getters and your, your true socials. But so we build extra security. Um, we build some encryption and uh, that's why we allow these, these larger uploads. But it would be nice to have something like that to where um, it would take about 30% of the caching away from uh, 
what's actually happening on the Wimkin. Um, but we have uh, an iOS app. We have, a, um, I'm sorry, Apple. We have an Android app, and we also have a web-based version at Wimkin.com. I love it, man. I love it. And, and, and pretty much the last thing before I let you go, I'm noticing you donate a lot of your profits to child sex trafficking victims. And, you know, a lot of which I think is great. You're a strong advocate for election integrity. Um, and you said, you know, um, the, the, the you had a TikTok alternative yep. uh, named Realster and a YouTube alternative named TruthLeak. Does that all a, a factor into Wimkin? Is that all like combined together? Um, we're going to bridge them. We are going to bridge them so you can actually just share in between platforms in that nature. But it, as you know, that's probably, you know, it's a very big undertaking. But, um, you know, but realistically, we haven't really even really had the time to launch TruthLeak. I mean, it's out there and you can upload everything. It's basically the only thing we really want to do is add a live streaming function there. Yeah. But um, Realster, we've already had 65,000 signups and uh, wow. our media tour doesn't start until June 1st on it. And we just released it, uh, I want to say, the end of April. So um, it's doing well and it's, you know, we have parental controls on there, which is fantastic because, you know, um, I, I, not biologically, but I, I still, I have a three and six year old and they love watching videos. Yeah. But when you jump on a TikTok, you're going to see filth no matter what. It's going to come into your, you know, it, it, whatever, how they ever filter content um, is crazy. So we have, uh, we have age groups and things and where, um, you know, uh, parents can actually control what their kids are seeing so they can create an account for their kid and, you know, very well um, keep up on that and make sure that everything's okay. And how much money have you put in, put into this? Um, well, to be honest with you, so we wrote the Reels app for, uh, it, it's a plugin on WordPress. So we wrote um, a, uh, a Reels app for Wimkin and we sort of just developed that out. So um, it wasn't too much, but we're, we're spending some money on the media tour and things of that nature. And we're getting in front of uh, uh, most states' departments of education right now due to the fact that, you know, we really want Realster to be known as a TikTok replacement because Montana obviously just banned them and other states are definitely going to follow. There's no doubt about that. But um, we want people to know there's a safe alternative. We want to make sure that these kids aren't out there getting hurt or getting killed due to these TikTok challenges. And um, we really want to make a difference there. And to, to conclude, before I let you go, um, I see you've been subpoenaed quite a bit uh, in the past. Are you worried about that happening again as your tech ventures continue to grow? I mean, I really we don't we don't do anything. We have a very clean platform. We we approve all accounts manually. So, um, you know, we don't have the bots. We don't have the scammers. I mean, certainly some get through. We're not foolproof here. But, you know, I think that the insurrection and free speech is well. I'll knock on wood in a second, but um, I don't think we'll ever have to go back in front of Congress like that because I, I don't see anything pressing, so to speak, that's going to be, I mean, the insurrection, as you will call it, um, it, uh, it, it was the number one story in the world. They, they spun it into something that it was completely not, and they wanted people to pay. And I, I guess we paid a price, obviously. I mean, being out of the app source for eight months really hurt our user base. I think we'd probably be... <laughs> 25 million or something at this point right now. But um, Rory, I don't think so. I, I, I really hope not, but um, you know, you never know. You really never know, but we're ready. We have great, a great team of attorneys out in your California, um, right in Orange County. So um, we're ready for anything that comes our way. And, and you know, um, our attorney's name is Michael Corey out in Orange County. Nice. He, he shut the J6 committee down. So, um, and we didn't have any repercussions from that, at least yet. But uh, I don't think we will. That was back in, um, I want to say that was November of 2000, 
20, yeah, November of 2020 is when we first got subpoenaed, and, and it, it's basically over now. Wow. <laughs> well, man, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. November of 21. I apologize. November of 21. I, I, I completely messed it up because the election wasn't even until, obviously, uh, or the inauguration wasn't even until January of 21, so I apologize. Well, JC, man, I, I love talking to you, brother. I could talk to you all day. I got to get to my next guest, Christian yep. Watson. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Sure, guys. Um, so, again, you can go to Wimkin.com. It's W-I-M as in Mary, K-I-N as in Nancy, uh, .com. That stands for World Must Know Now in honor of free speech. We just we couldn't use W-M-K-N because it would sound like radio call letters, and the FCC already said no. But um, And then you can also find us on Realster, uh, R-E-E-L-S-T-E-R dot I-O. And you can download the apps right from both of those uh, platforms, and you can also find us in Google Play and Apple. Sounds great, my friend. We'll keep up the fantastic work. And uh, I love everything you're doing, man. God bless you. And let's talk. You, soon. You let's talk soon. And I believe we can collaborate on many different things because we're yes. working. We're working on a lot of the same technology. So this could get really fun. Yes, it could. Thank you so much, Roy. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, man. We'll talk soon. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All righty. I do want to welcome the show. I believe we have Christian Watson with us. Christian Watson joining us for the first time. It's an honor to have you here, sir. First and foremost, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Well, I thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm Christian. I'm a content creator online. I talk about politics. I talk about philosophy. I study issues. I do things. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not very good at talking about myself. You'll probably learn that throughout the course of this conversation. But, but fundamentally... Um, what, what underlies my involvement in this whole world is a desire to see people think more critically about political and social and cultural issues um, more critically than they do normally. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and Christian, I'm, I'm reading your bio right here. You're a political commentator, national yeah, spokesperson yeah. for Color U.S. United. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. Well, that's an organization. That's a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which basically the mission is for us to teach people the principles of colorblindness. The idea that I love that the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of folks get it confused because they say, well, you don't think you can actually see someone's race. No, of course you can see race visually, but colorblindness is a moral position. That is that you don't assign any unneeded stock in someone's appearance and someone's aesthetics, you instead assign that stock to their conduct, to their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that's the position that we advocate for. Unfortunately, aesthetics, how someone looks, have taken the place of judgments on conduct. Most people's moral sensibilities these days are guided by appearances and not by substance. This is one of the reasons why I wholeheartedly reject the contemporary left-wing frame because it elevates personal sensibilities to the level of a moral standard. Um, and that's not a good thing at all. Morals are built off of concrete principles that are required to be followed, lest human life not, not be able to exist in the civilizational context, and consequently, lest society is uh, unraveled by uh, these violations of morality. That's morality. Morality is not simply what you like, what you think is good, what you think is bad. There are actually objective things here that you can look at and measure. But the idea is that you can just get rid of all of those things. You can ignore all of those things and focus almost solely 
on your own emotions. So that's a very egregious idea that has seeped its way into the race discourse in this country and also into almost every other discourse in this country, the discourse between feminism and modern men, the discourse between, uh, you know, just name your pick, between populism, nationalism, and the different strands of the conservative movement, now, the discourse between the, the current going-ons of the pride movement, all of these things, uh, and, many, and many more, of course, that I'm not really mentioning, reflect this underlying uh, propensity for people to elevate personal tastes to moral standards. So we ought to stop that, in my opinion. No, very, very well said. And, you know, th- what do you make of the, all these culture wars? I mean, it's a huge mm. distraction from the, the big problems that are occurring. Don't you agree? Somewhat and somewhat no. So as someone who has and is continuing to study the power structure and its influence over society, mm-hmm. I understand that certain events that are very flashy and, 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 and eye-catching can be used by those in power to distract people from their wicked machinations. And I have no doubt that the culture war has been used to divert the energy and the attention of those on the right away from more substantive issues, such as, let's say, the WEF, such as, let's say, the fact that there is a massive um, attempt, power grab happening in Congress right now, an attempt to increase the power of the surveillance state through the Restrict Act that your last guest, met, your last guest mentioned. The fact that there are just so many of the other things going on, the fact that America lied to its citizens about Ukraine, and we are actually at boots on the ground there, in the fact, in the fact that we are actually fulfilling a concept, a conflict that we know has no end in sight, and only really benefits one part that is the military-industrial complex and their coffers. All of these things are substantively more important, I think, than if a man wears a dress or not. Having right. said that, having said that, it would be unwise to not understand the junction between governance and culture. Culture provides the foundation for political order. And in a society that does not value freedom as a political value or a moral value, you will not have a political order that values freedom as a moral value or a political value as well. This is why our founders understood that if you're going to have a free society, you must have a society where people understand what it means to be free, understand what it means to be virtuous, because that will be reflective of the political order. So in a, a society that's hostile to freedom in the individual, ultimately is going to lead to a government that's hostile to freedom in the individual. So you have to really ask yourselves, if how are you going to be able to produce political change in the absence of the culture? You can't. You must try to change the culture, and then you can try to change the political system. The political system alone changing does nothing, because the political right. system is a reflection of the desires of those within within it, who are also part of the culture. Yeah, and this organization, in very in various ways, you know, just so I can pinpoint this properly. When you mention colorblind, you're you're basically getting at looking at everybody as an American. Stop focusing so much on race. Stop focusing so much on all these things that you know divide. I mean, is that fair to say? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All those things are fair. Absolutely. And looking at people like as an American, you know, like not saying African-American, yes. not saying Hispanic-American, not saying Asian-American, just American. Right? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, and, and I love and, that. And, 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 go ahead. And in a society where Americanism is a dirty word, in a society where most people can't even tell you what it means to be an American, right. in a society where philosophy is not valued as a medium of expression and understanding of the world, you can very easily take offense at the notion that someone could just be a universal American with no qualifier or category to hold that down. You can take offense to that because the current frame of our culture is that being an American is to be in a system built off of oppression and destruction and conquest and, 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 and power struggles between those who have less and those who have more to to reduce the Marxian idea to the more 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 basic line of thought. To people are taught that to be an American means to be the inheritor of a generation of evil. When people are taught these things, that will shape their understanding of concepts, and that will ultimately bring them towards false conclusions. We have an entire generation nursed on the on these ideas that I just mentioned. But the founding generation were nursed on the ideas that their country wasn't perfect. Their country had problems. We had numerous rebellions in the beginning of America. We had Shays Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion. We had numerous revolts against power and authority in, in early America. But that was characteristic of the mindset of that generation. And that generation, more so than our own right now, would not take peaceful oppression. They'd rather have uncomfortable freedom, which is why you had Americans chasing out tax collectors who wanted to wanted to collect taxes on their whiskey and, 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 and putting them up on trees and embarrassing them. And then when Washington's army came and the Western Pennsylvania to crush the revolt, they, st they stood down, but they refused to pay the tax. And then two years later, Jefferson repealed the whiskey tax. That's the spirit of America. Yeah. That kind of spirit requires a foreknowledge that is yeah. being disgraced in our current era. And Christian, I've always said that some of the biggest problems we face in this country are entitlement and victim mentality. And, and also, you know, this goes into victim mentality, but so many people feeling like they're oppressed, you know, like they're, I don't, I mean, I mean, I kind of do understand how we got to this point. Uh, poor leadership by our politicians, especially on the left, that try to convince these people that something's wrong with them. And it's like they put them in boxes. And the more boxes they can create of victims, the more powerful their base is, their base becomes. I mean, is that a fair assessment? I mean, because think about the transgenders, the, you know, the non-binaries, you know, it goes on and on. The LGBT, you know, they, they just keep creating these various groups, if that makes sense. Well, so I, I think what's happening is we have to we have to understand from what source are those things coming from? Um, Activist I, group, I, left wing, left wing politicians, very various. They, different they are they are beneficiaries. They are beneficiaries of the phenomenon you talk about. 
they are yeah. all beneficiaries, absolutely, because they use these things that you mentioned right. to increase their hold on power. But the fundamental source, the fundamental source is a fundamental lack of enlightenment, a fundamental lack of knowledge, ignorance. If man, first of all, let me give an example. If man was, was not ignorant of the distinction between man and woman that exist in nature, would he then therefore try to say that womanhood or manhood are both constructs of society meant to oppress people? That's the current ideological frame of the gender ideology movement that pushes non-binary and transgender. If man had a proper understanding of what it meant to be a personally responsible individual and what it meant to you know, be an American in that sense, would he cry about the fact that he doesn't have a lot of money the fact that he decided to get himself into over $50,000 of college debt, and now he's mad and thinks that he's been deceived because he made a bad decision because he was led by others to make the bad decision. Would he care about that? No, no, no. He would, he would take responsibility for what he did and not seek a handout and a bailout from the government. We, uh, The fundamental source of all these problems is ignorance. Plato said when two or more opinions exist, ignorance, one of them are, is ignorant. So... We have to really ask ourselves, how do we cure the, the knowledge problem, the ignorance problem within our society? Because I believe that if people have the right ideas, they won't always do the right thing. Human beings are, are, are fallible. We're, we're errant creatures. But they will have a reference point to act upon. And so, yes, this ignorance is used by the people in the power structure, the activist groups, all these different in individuals to fuel their rise to power, but they didn't create the ignorance. They didn't create the ignorance. They're just, they're just using it. They're benefiting from it. And, and you look at the Biden administration coming out. It was like a few weeks ago or a month ago saying that the transgender movement is the most important since the civil rights movement. Um, I mean, we have these sort of idiotic statements that, you know, I mean, we're talking about a group that makes up such a small percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just it really rubs me the wrong way. And, you know, all these Democrats, mm -hmm. every election cycle say that they're going to do all these things for minorities and the black community. And they never end up doing anything. They just make these communities more poor and more, you know, uh, dependent on the government. Uh, so your, your thoughts on this, I mean, it, it, it's really sad. I mean, the, what, the, what they've done to the various groups and, you know, dividing, you know, everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, you mm -hmm. know, so many don't have a voice. So many don't feel like they belong. Um, with mm -hmm. the current circumstances going on, if that makes sense. Like, like people like you and I, we don't really feel, I mean, with, with, with the way these policies are in this administration, I, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel at ease. I'm sure you, you're, you're rubbed the wrong way as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that any political administration, especially this one that formulates their conclusions on the basis of faulty premises and saying white supremacy and saying white supremacy is the biggest threat we face as a nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, mm -hmm. it's just crazy to me. Go ahead though. Well, yeah, no, it's crazy, but if you, well, well, he has to understand. I've been dealing with these ideas for a very, very, very like long time. So at first it was crazy to me. It was scary to me at first. But when I began to understand how these people think, 
I became less impressed. Maybe that's just a me thing. Maybe it's just an overexposure thing, but I became much less impressed. Uh, but no, so what's happening is the Biden administration is using faulty premises to influence so much of their policy. And we understand in the laws of logic that if you have a faulty premise, you cannot reach a sound conclusion. It's just, you know, if, if A... If A says something different than, than, than B would suggest, then A cannot lead to B. Very simple like that. Um, but that's not the frame of mind they use. Instead, they wish to embolden our society's sacred cows, our conceptual, I call them conceptual sacred cows. Let's mm -hmm. say group rights, for example, which is a conceptual sacred cow in America that actually is philosophically erroneous and is not... Uh, a part of the American intellectual tradition. Let's say the idea, for example, that you have a voting right. That's a group right. No, you don't have a voting right at all. Voting is not a right. Voting is a privilege. You have a privilege to participate in our constitutional republic, but rights are things that belong to you by virtue of you being a human being. Rights come from the Latin word "ius," which meant were meant to describe properties of your humanity, which correspond to your ability to live in a morally responsible way in a society. So by the definition, it would have to be voting can't be a right. It can only be a privilege categorically. But then you would go over to the idea of transgender rights or the idea of, 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 of black rights or whatever. Right. And you have to understand that they are putting one thing at the forefront and they're ignoring the other thing. The concept right is a rider to the identity. So they have essentially deified identity and they have made identity their moral value statement as opposed to substance. We live in an era where we have people ruled by their passions so much so that it clouds their judgment on these very simple issues that most Americans will get very simply and leads them to erroneous conclusions. And in some cases, the people who are doing this don't really care about what's right, don't really care about what's biologically correct. They simply care about what will benefit them. In any case, the Biden administration has given ground these two impulses, sort of power-hungry impulse and the ignorant impulse, and it's allowing them to manifest into policy. And it's more deeply reflective of our culture's lack of enlightenment. And I mention this not to be a prude or not to be ivory tower. Thomas Jefferson himself, and I'm going to paraphrase here, said that you cannot maintain civilization if your population is ignorant. And he's correct, because civilization requires knowledge of basic principles. Civilization requires you have you have to have a shared language of some sort. Civilization requires so many things that are on the basis of common agreement, and knowledge is the glue that holds all of those things together. So right. very simply, Rory, we're seeing people like the Biden administration act in an anti-civilizational way. And I understand this is not the it's not the most exciting way to describe politics, right? It's not the most appealing way to describe politics. But I want more Americans to think and speak like I've just thought and spoke. Yeah. Not be, because everyone has the ability to do it. And if more people did it, those in their regime, the Biden administration, all of them would not have the cultural grounding they unfortunately have in the minds of a lot of Americans. And, and Christian, it, it, it's like, what rights don't they have? I mean, they have the same exact rights as, as us, you know, black people, transgenders, gay people. I mean, they all have the same rights. I mean, I, and 
it's a shame that the left tries to convince convince them that they're oppressed and you know and i see i see a pattern and i notice something and you probably notice this as well the reason they're pushing this transgender narrative so much the reason they keep pushing this lgbt and this pride stuff is because it really increases their base they want these people to continue to vote for them they want to keep these people on chains in a way like they did to, you know, people, you know, black people back in slavery. Uh, do you see, do you see what I'm trying to say? I mean, does this make sense? There's certainly a political motive. I won't, I won't deny that. There's certainly a political motive. Yes. And we can perhaps say that any, the, the politicians doing this probably yeah. are motivated solely by politics. But if we were to stop there, we would do ourselves great disservice because there are people who are pushing this in the political structure who actually believe they are being benevolent, who actually believe they are being morally righteous. And we have to ask ourselves, that motive of action, that sort of moral righteousness as a motivator of action, how do they see that? How can they see that? Because right. their minds are clouded. So it goes right. back to the problem of ignorance. So right. every single phenomenon you see is connected to a single deeper philosophical issue. And if we confront these things that are at their, at their core root, at the subterranean basis of these issues we can solve both the issue and all of its outgrowths forever yeah no i hear you and christian st stay with us we're gonna take a quick commercial i'm gonna come right back i got i got a few more questions for you uh we'll be right back everybody it's a beautiful day coming to you live from palm springs california i'm mike lindell and i'm excited to announce my new product my coffee I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, mystore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever going to have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras, Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? 
And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back with Christian Watson. Uh, Christian, I was just reading. Um, I was reading about your your bio, and I want to go back into uh, ask you about a few things. Um, so you're also the podcast host of the Pensive Politic Politics Show. Talk about that a little bit. So I first started that podcast when I was a junior in college, a few years. Wow, ago. dude! How many years later now? Maybe three. I'm only 23, by the way. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most I folks thought you might be in your like early 30s or something, but damn, yeah, man, like, you're, you're you're way ahead yeah. of your time, man. You're, yeah. you're doing well, a lot. A lot. Of, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. A lot of folks are shell shocked when I say that. But um, so I started that when I was in my, my college, uh, junior year of college. It started as an audio only podcast. Tons of politics, and, Mr. Watson. And by, by the way, real quick, what college? Mercy University in Georgia. In okay. Georgia. It's a, it's a small regional college. You probably never heard of it. If you're in the South, you've definitely heard of it. But if you're not, if you're in California, you've not heard of it. It's uh, a lot, a kind, lot kind of, of like, Oh, go ahead. It's kind of like Loyola Marymount University. That's kind of like this the level that it's at. It's, a, a lot, a lot of indoctrination, a lot of liberal BS. So, so. Um, more so after, at, more so in my time leaving than when I first came. When I first came, I, there were some things I noticed, but as I my time as a student progressed and I began doing more things on campus, like hosting a free speech event, uh, a debate on social justice between two professors that I knew, um, students became incredibly hostile to free expression. There were proposals to um, create a committee that would moderate future debates. And if uh, the topic was considered to be hurtful towards a particular oppressed group, they said, the topic would not be allowed for a debate on campus. There was a bunch of things they tried to do to obstruct the the free flow of expression on that campus that I was the receiving end of, I became a social pariah due to my activities in promoting free expression and promoting conservative values as well. So uh, I, my time in college was mixed. I met I met some great people there. I met, had some nice times there, but I've also seen the underbelly of the cultural influence of the woke and the cultural influence of people who seek to subvert our constitutional order in the worst way possible. I have to talk with professors who are the architects of these ideas and who preserve these ideas and take these ideas wherever they go. They're sort of like emissaries, priests in a temple almost. So, yeah, I, I got to experience um, a little bit of it, but it's not, it's not like going to Berkeley or UCLA or places like that where you just, if you're conservative, you have to literally in Berkeley, they literally have underground meetings. Like you cannot meet on campus. You have to go meet somewhere in someone's basement. Did you uh, ever see, oh, go ahead, keep on. Go on, go on, go on no, please. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, please, I, I was done. Um, no, I, I wanted to ask you if, 
did you ever lose any of your friends to uh, liberalism? Yes. Did some of them? Yeah. Did some of them go in there? You know, coming from conservative households, and then they turn liberal and they turn woke and they buy in this whole SJW personality. I wish more of my friends had been liberal in the proper sense, the classical sense, in the classical sense, like. But no, Jefferson I'm talking liberal. about leftists. I'm talking about. Yeah, okay, yeah. I like to make the distinction on purpose because. Right, we, right. We, no, we yeah, because when I think of liberal, I think of like the JFKs, the classic liberals, the ones that you know from back in the day. Yeah, no, and really that word became tainted after the after FDR's term, after FDR's term, which is at the tail end of the progressive era. The word liberal became conflated with the expansionary and central planning policies of the progressive movement, which is not, which actually is anti-liberal. But that's a different story, different day. But yes, I, I unfortunately, a lot of my, so first, my first year of freshman year, I made a lot of acquaintances. I don't call them friends. I used to call them friends, but I actually realized what that meant. And so the, the proper category is acquaintances. I knew them. I talked to them sometimes, but I didn't have any deep relationships with them. But they knew me, and we would sit together and eat and everything. When I began doing my activities on campus, um, that's when I began seeing a massive change in how they appraised me. Um, people, a lot, especially a lot of the black community on campus, just after I did my the, the debate, so such as the debate where I hosted the two professors, they stopped talking to me. They're like, Christian Watson, we don't want to deal with you. They stopped talking to me. They stopped dealing with me. Um, a lot of them had whisper campaigns against me. Um, a lot of a lot of people on that campus did not like me very much. Wait, what's, it, a whisper, what's a whisper campaign? Explain that. Oh, when someone goes to someone else and says, hey, that guy over there is not very good. And then they go to someone else and someone else, like a back a backdoor campaign to ruin your reputation. These happen all the time. You, you, you've seen them before. You've seen them, I'm sure. Yeah. So, as, you're, as you're saying, though. Yes. So, no, unfortunately, I got to see quite a bit of it. But ultimately, look, learning was always my friend. Making content was and still always is my friend. Um, the faith I have in my own ability to represent who I am truly to the world is my friend. Walt, Walt Whitman said, I contain multitudes. And so I take that seriously. I take that very, very seriously, actually. Because if you contain multitudes, then if someone denigrates a part of you, they're only looking at a shadow of who you are, not the true sense of who you are. Most folks don't realize that. So I, I strengthened myself. I got some dermal skin during that time. And I decided, you know what? I want to become a political commentator, a public intellectual out in the space so I can influence minds, especially minds of my own generation, not to buy into things like this, not to buy into ideas like this and influence them towards the proper line of thinking, right? And so that's when my podcast, eventually I did a podcast for a while. I managed to get Scott Bale on the show. Some nice people. I managed to get Miriam Williamson on the show managed to get some very nice and big people on the show. Then I decided I'm going to transition over to video. And so for about two years now, I have been do, running a YouTube channel that is also Pensive Politics, Christian Watson Pensive Politics. And I think I've seen more success there. On that channel, I've gotten people like Sebastian Gorka, who is a personal friend of mine, actually. He's come on the show twice now. You know, so we, 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 I do videos about all kind of topics. I debate people. I talk about things. So yeah, we are slowly building the enterprise, and I'm very excited to see where it will go. And going back to this whole college thing, mm -hmm. don't you think there should be some sort of accountability and reper repercussions 
and consequences for these professors that are indoctrinating these students. I mean, you have all you have these parents that are paying these high tuitions and you have you have a lot of people that, you know, go in there uh, with a certain amount of beliefs and they change because they get brainwashed and programmed. I mean, it really makes me sick. It really does that um, this is allowed and this is in a lot of ways it's enabled in these colleges and they never really want to do anything about it. And we're yeah, seeing, make sure. and we're seeing Christian because of this, a lot of people are deciding not to go to college anymore. Well, that's and, actually and there, many, there's so, other reasons for that too. Because yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's to many reasons. Ways to make money online, ways to make mm-hmm. money in sales. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur today is a lot easier than it was ten to twenty. Plus, years college ago. is very expensive. Yes. Well. Uh, so, so no, I think that we're seeing a lot of, re- I, first of all, I don't encourage anyone to go to college. If I could do it over again, I would not have gone to college. I would have at the very least gone to community college, gotten an associate's degree and I would have stopped there. I could, I could have gone to community college for free, but my idea was go to a university, pay all this money that you'll be paying back for the rest of your life and get a brand name on your resume. Well, guess what? That brand name has done nothing for me. What's done right. things for me has my own personal hard work that I've persevered and persisted through. And that does not cost money. That costs energy. Doesn't cost money. You already, everyone has that within their soul. So I wouldn't have gone to college. I don't encourage anybody unless you have, to, unless you are desiring to be a doctor or someone in IT or engineering right. or a lawyer, or something that really requires. Uh, I, I wouldn't, enc- I wouldn't encourage lawyer I, I, that that either. But law schools, so that's a different story. But yes, if you want to be a lawyer or whatever, then you have to go to college. But if you want to be an artist, a creative, an entrepreneur. You know, like I wanted to be a political commentator. There are no colleges for political commentators. Glenn Beck didn't. Glenn Beck graduated high school. That's it. Right. Yeah, he's one of the biggest names in the in the movement in the industry. There right. is no college for political commentators. You just do right. that, and you hope to gather a following, and you hope to influence people. I should have started doing that at eighteen, as opposed to waiting until I was twenty-two. Well, 20, 21, actually. Because I probably, if I would have got an earlier start, probably would have already been more successful than I am now. But that's besides the point. I don't think that it's a good idea to go to college. The price tag doesn't justify it. And as for consequences, we should be very careful not to allow our distaste for things to influence our assessment of those things. Um, because there's a substantive part to this as well. When you get into the, the, the area of academic expression and freedom, there is a, a moral dimension to that. We need to be very, very cognizant enough. Having said that, I don't think that taxpayer dollars should go to a single school. If it was up to me, we would get rid of the entire student loan, federal student loan program right now, immediately. What you would see if that happened, you would see a number of colleges significantly cut back. Right. You would see another number of colleges significantly cut back on some useless programs they have on student activities, which oftentimes runs up the budget, on a variety of things that we take for granted these days. You would see the price of textbooks go down. You would see a bunch of things happen that actually might make college more feasible from an economic standpoint to people. On a sociological standpoint, you would likely see um, less people influenced by professors that are overran by their ideas and seek to indoctrinate people. Sure, there will always be those that fall into traps. And guess what? 
No amount of government action or force can stop that. Human beings for decades, for centuries actually, have been getting conned by swindlers and rogues uh, on their pursuit to power. And it is our duty as rational human beings to safeguard ourselves from that kind of stuff by understanding what is proper, what is true, and how to use our minds to discern which is which. Uh, the problem is so many of us don't use our minds today. So many of us outsource that mental activity, that mental labor to machines or other people. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I'm actually happy I'm doing this thing. I'm kind of solo with this channel right now. I'm kind of solo. I got a few folks who help me, but I'm kind of solo, which I'm happy for. Some of the biggest names in the industry have teams of researchers that yeah. go out and pull up stories for them. Right. No, I can't do it. You can't take away the joy that I get from actually delving into the penumbras of a particular topic, extracting my own meaning, right. and then applying that meaning to the broader worldview and the broader thing happening in our society. There's no greater source of edification that I personally get beyond that. And we need to revive that pursuit of knowledge and intellect. We need to revive that in our society as a fashionable thing to do, because that is the that is what fertilizes the soil of our civilization. Yeah, and you br you brought up earlier how there are no colleges for broadcasting, you know, especially for you know conservatives like us, and you know the whole uh, situation with Glenn Beck only having a high school degree. You know, I went to college one year. I dropped out. And I started all my own businesses, all my own different investments. I've been my own guy since I was 18 years old and it's worked out very well for me. And I will, you know, I'm 32 now. Um, but I will say I never knew or thought I'd be in media. I just picked up the mic one day and it became a routine and it became a natural gift I had. It was something that, uh, just I just I just I stuck with it and I never I never stopped. And uh, I always tell everybody in this business, consistency is the key. And I've been doing this now, the media stuff for about six years. And it's amazing. You know, you get to hear people from all walks of life. You get to hear all these different stories. You get to collaborate and network with so many ama amazing individuals that uh, have so much going for them. I've built so many friendships i built so many business partnerships. I mean, it goes on and on. Absolutely. And so. And we are the future. The independent media is the future. Corporate yes. media has lost so much credibility. It's, it's we, the people that uh, are, are uh, the, you know, the, the if future. You told, like if you would have told 18 year old Christian, but that by the time he turned 23, he would know Sebastian Gork on a first name basis, or he would know Scott Bale on a first name basis. Right. He wouldn't have believed you. He would have called you crazy. He would have cursed you out probably. He was not a very well-mannered 18-year-old. He would have done a lot of things. But uh, this career path has set me in the presence of some very great people, some very nice people like yourself even. Um, so I'm very thankful for it. Yeah, and, and I want to go back to also what what another question. You talked about, you know, you're a conservative. Have you always been a conservative your entire life? Or did you grow up Democrat? No. Um, it's a complicated question because I began following politics when I was 11 years old. 
vaguely. I didn't really have an understanding of it because I was just loving. But I I would watch see on the news all the time, different political figures going on CNN or Fox, and I remember distinctly when Ron Paul ran uh, in 2011. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That was my first entry into politics. I think. Then, um, after that, I kind of just continued to watch cable networks back then. 2013, 2014, 2015. Kind of just watched. I switched between MSNBC, Fox, um, Blaze was on cable at that point. They are not on cable anymore. I think DirecTV dropped them, so they're, they're just more of an internet thing now. But I would turn on Blaze TV on cable. I would watch Glenn Beck do his like hour-long monologue with the camera swiveling around, and he's just speaking. And I would go to, I would go to sleep to that, actually, sometimes. Um, and all of that stuff helped saturate my mind. Then I began to read. I began to read whatever I could mythology, politics. And then I found my first intellectual love. That was philosophy. I didn't dip my toe into it until the latter half of my high school career. But at the beginning of my college career, I think I endeavored in some of the most rigorous self-study I've ever done. I began reading about the natural law theorists. I began reading about the philosophies of the American founding. I've been reading about the classics, and I'm still, by the way, educating myself and still reading and still trying to discover new philosophers, new thinkers, new concepts. And that's when a light clicked on. That's when my political intuitions formed in my adolescence, and in my little bit of my pre-adolescence, came forth and married with my philosophical intuitions. And that's when I understood. I want to preserve the longstanding wisdom that erected the American experiment and made America the paragon of freedom and individualism that has always been. I want to preserve the principles that are endemic to our nation's ancient founding documents. I want to preserve the wisdom of the founding generation that set America onto a path of success for so many years. I want to conserve and preserve all of these things. And so in the American sense, I'm a conservative. I, years ago, I would have said that I'm a libertarian. Um, and you could say that the character of my political philosophy is very libertarian, but libertarianism is not enough. I realize that it's not enough. It's 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 a sufficient basis. It's necessary. It's integral. You better have it because if you don't have it, politics will become a game of power and domination, as opposed to a process of preserving first principles. So you better have libertarianism in your political philosophy, but it can't dominate you. You have to have an appreciation for objective truth, for the eternal, for wisdom, for beauty, for order, for these things that exist in nature that the thinker can apply his mind to and then bring it back to his own experience. You have to have that. That's why I'm a conservative. And Christian, I mean, how often do you get attacked for being a black conservative and the other question I have is how do we get more people to wake more black people to wake up that are voting Democrat to realize that they don't have their best interest at heart? Well, if I knew the answer to the second question, I'd be a millionaire. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 so perhaps I can't, I can't give you a, a full answer. There's a few things you can do. Actually, you can do it with a vague promise. Swami, someone who I think should be president 100%, one of my favorites. 
Uh, he's good. He should do what he, he I do think the only thing I'm skeptical of. about him, though, is his ties to the World Economic Forum. Did you ever see that? Okay, yeah, yeah, that that's not an actual. So the WEF has this very bad habit of putting people on the website that didn't actually have anything to do with them. That okay. is a Tulsa Gabbard and several other people as well. And Gabbard had to say, I'm not in favor of you because she's not. She's actually against almost everything they, they stand for. And they had to pull it down. So Vivek is actually going after the WEF for putting him up on the website. He's going after them in a very big way, in a legal way, I believe. So no, he is not tied to the WEF. I thought it was actually a little bit of a misunderstanding. And if because if he was, I wouldn't be supporting him. No, no way. Because the WEF, the WHO, the UN, that entire cabal of international organizations was exist to erode national sovereignty in the name of benevolence is foul. And they are against the preservation of our nation. And every nation, by virtue of their existence, must be concerned on a moral level with their own preservation. If they're not, they want to have a nation for long. So that's that. But the Vic understands the core of the problems that we face. He understands how to address those problems on first principles. And he understands how to also communicate that to people in the inner cities in a digestible way. He went to Chicago in the inner city of South of Chicago and spoke to a bunch of people, black people. Went to a barbershop, got his hair done, and spoke to people. He's going to Kensington in Philadelphia, one of the biggest slums in America, where local politicians don't even go. He's going there as well very soon. So, no, I think that you have to speak to people where they are. Don't talk to people as if and condescend them as if they are some sort of ignorant person. Speak to them where they are. Level with them. Be human. And the process of being human, I think you'll ultimately find that there's a lot of like-mindedness between the average American conservative and the average black American, statistically speaking. Yeah, and I asked you about you getting attacked for being a black conservative. Does that happen to you quite a bit? Yeah, it's happened. It's been, it's been I don't, it's not to dwell on it though, but it's happened. I mean, yeah, when I went, when I went on the, the Young Turks and I debated one of their personalities, the entire audience attacked me, called me all kind of vicious names. Um, when I made a video that went viral last year about the student loan crisis, and why I did not want to have my debts forgiven by Biden, because I believe in the idea of responsibility, personal responsibility. I had almost predominantly black people attacking me, attacking my looks, saying that I have um, some sort of skin disorder or some sort of appearance disorder that makes me look like I'm an old man, saying that uh, they want to kill me, saying that uh, I should die, saying that I look like I'm an AARP recipient at 23, 22 at that time. So I've, 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 I've gotten some very nasty comments from people that have been hurtful, but that's part of the course. No, I, I, dude, I admire your bravery and your courage and how you go out there and fight for what you believe in. Um, if you were in charge of, you know, the inner cities, what would you do to fix things? What, like, what, what is your solution? Cause I, I'm sure you've thought about this, um, very clearly. In inner cities across America, we are seeing the governments fuel the habits of degeneracy that are destroying those communities. You stop doing that. No more, no, no, no more uh, cylinders. No more shots. No more drug paraphernalia to feature addiction. We stop doing that. Second, you have to enforce decency laws to a certain extent. If you know there's a homeless person who is harassing people and is causing a nuisance to people in the community, you have to remove them. You have to have the police go in there and remove them. 
no matter because we we see are all around the nation in Seattle, for example, just last week. Where I'm from, a yeah. Lawyer, a lawyer, a businessman was standing outside of a hotel in downtown Seattle. Some homeless guy walked up to him, stabbed him, almost hits his critical or organs. This guy just come into town. He came into town to visit for some business, almost lost his life in downtown Seattle. How does that happen? Late stage leftism. That's how it happens. So you have to say, we're not going to co-sign and support conduct like that. We're going to use the force of law to remove it when necessary. But then you also have to address it from a different angle as well. You have to project as a leader a sense of responsibility into people by using the pulpit you have. You have to encourage people to make better decisions. Because ultimately, you can do, you can pass all the laws you want, you can do all the programs you want. If people don't make a decision to change themselves, the inner cities will remain how they are. The slums will remain unchallenged ends of depravity. Right. You have to encourage people to change themselves. And perhaps not assisting in their bad habits will push them further along to do that. But it's not a surefire solution. So the real answer is that your leaders can't change anything for you. The change begins with you. And that's a question, that's a statement that would never get me elected in America. Because people want to feel as if their politicians can save them and deliver them from their own problems. That's not how government's supposed to work. Government is instituted amongst men to ensure you have the ability to live a morally responsible life by preserving what you already have your rights. That's it. Government's not there to promote an agenda to you. They're not there to dictate how you live your life. They are simply there. They're not there to assist you in your bad habits by giving you um, cylinders to inject yourself with heroin. They are there to preserve your freedoms. That's it. That's it. Americans have far too expensive a view of government, which has then bled into the welfare state, which has contributed significantly to the generosity of the inner city culture, which has bled into the co-sponsoring of drug habits and all these kind of things. You have to retract the tentacles, cut them off, and return government back to its proper domain, and perhaps we'll see a change through that. And where where do you think the thought process of um, God? I, I just I just lost my train of thought. You you were oh of all yeah, these. I'm sorry, people, it, it, that tends to no, happen. You, no, you're fine. Now now I remember. Of, where do you think the thought process and the mindset came? from all these voters having so much faith in these elected officials and looking at them as their gods or their saviors or these, they're these people that are going to come, you know, save, save their entire lives. It came from a misunderstanding of political authority. And that misunderstanding of political authority has been bolstered in the American mind, especially since the progressive era, when political authority took on many different forms that it was never supposed to take on. So for example, Political authority became this sort of social corrective, social, social police force, which sides in the part of some groups against others. During the progressive era, you saw a huge emphasis on the worker movement and worker legislation, which then led to an emphasis on central planning, which ingrained this cultural mindset in the minds of so many Americans that the government exists to actually organize their life for them and fix their social problems for them. But in all reality, there's if you look at this philosophically, was a division between political power and cultural power. 
cultural power and cultural trends and norms can give rise to particular kinds of political orders in a republic system. Political power does not really give rise to a different kind of culture, except in particular instances. Oftentimes, political power simply amplifies what is already there in the culture that may not be very visible. I don't believe political power caused the black family to break down. I believe political power fed certain passions and habits within human beings that then caused them to make the decision to ditch the idea of the family. Different thing than blaming it all on the political power. But if you understand this division between cultural and political power, you understand this is what the classical liberal scholars would have called the private and the public separation. And you understand how cultural power is supposed to work. Then you can pretty much usurp all of this. You can overcome all of this stuff. You can pretty much you overcome the mindset that politicians are supposed to lead you and protect you when they're not really supposed to do that whatsoever. But if you don't understand these basic divisions, distinction, you will forever fall in the trap of believing that politicians are God and you are their subject. What do you make of this whole reparations talk? I don't support it. Sure. Uh, I don't. I don't support it. I think that it's an inversion of justice. It's a penalty on people who did not do anything wrong to benefit people who, who didn't have any wrong given to them, at least not the wrong they claim they had given to them. It's, it's pretty idiotic. And how do you how do you feel about the Black Lives Matter organization on the verge of bankruptcy right now? The new reports came out this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. We have Patrice Cullors buying mansions for allegedly for official causes, but she's just splurging it on her own personal finances. And then no one is there to actually manage the money because no one has confidence in the organization. I'm not surprised. This is what happens. Just, this is the logical consequence of abuse of trust and mishandling and lack of goodwill towards your fellow man. And look at all these big corporations that donated and got involved. How, how do we explain that? Because I feel like there's more to the story. Like there were a bunch of loopholes. There were, there were a bunch of different, you know, ways I, I feel like they were capitalizing and making their money back. Well, I explain it very simply that the workers of a lot of these corporations, according to data, are very much in support of the entire constellation of thought behind race and, and the ESG and all that kind of stuff. The CEOs are actually more skeptical, according to the data. But the CEOs do not want to upset their worker base, and they also want to, to, to capitalize on what they see as an emerging market. That is the obsession over social justice and something like that, which is one of the reasons why BLM was supported by them. But they made a miscalculation, an egregious miscalculation that they are going to, that they are actively paying for um, with evidence of this. So, yeah, I think that corporations ought to stay out of politics and actually just fulfill their fiduciary responsibility. Um, yeah, so. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. And, and, and Christian, you know, Pride Month is right around the corner. Why does a group that make makes up such a small percentage of the population get an entire month? Meanwhile, our military only gets a day or two every year. Have you ever tried to figure that one out? Well, I, I reject Pride Month from the uh, from the outset. I don't I don't uh, support it. I don't believe in it. Um, I think that it is a collectivist slogan um, in the sense that it is used today. 
that seeks to flaunt behavior that, in any case, should really be confined to the privacy of a home. And and I may I may even I may even shock you and compound the oddities of my character here. Who knows? If I, I probably already compounded it. You got you got a twenty three year old talking about philosophy and all that kind of stuff. So it seems really weird. But I'm actually I myself am a homosexual. Oh, and yes, yeah. I, have, I, have a, and, I have family members that are as well. Yeah, yeah and they, actually, and they, look, and they look at this Christian as you know a disgrace of what's going on with pride and. You know, no, the think, indoctrination of children and all these crazy mm -hmm. antics and outbursts and their virtue signaling, you know, it, it's, well, yeah. Most normal, well-adjusted people, which are not very high amongst the gay population, I'll just be honest with you. Most gay men actually have a lot of mental issues, whether it be body image issues, whether it be um, drug problems, whether it be drinking problems. There's a lot of issues, but most well-adjusted people don't support this. Um most people who understand what decency means and understand the, the importance of protecting a child's innocence, which has significant implications for the development, don't support this. I don't support this. I'm an individualist, though. That's why I don't, you would have never known I was gay. I'm guessing you wouldn't have known if I hadn't no, told you. No, not at all. Because no. I'm individualist. I don't try to project a certain type of look or behavior or style. Right. I try to be who I am, a spiritual being contain in a moral coil who understands that my coil does not define who I am ultimately. That's and, why, and yes. Sorry, go no, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. And, and that's, and that's the mentality. That's the idea that I have wanted to push to other people, whether it be amongst black Americans or gay Americans, because if everyone was an individualist, you wouldn't have pride month. You wouldn't, there wouldn't be a care in the world for pride month because everyone would be doing their own thing in their own terms. And it's the advertising of it that's that's the problem. You know, it, it's not about somebody being gay. You know, whatever somebody does in their personal life, that's for them. But all these people in the in the pride movement, you know, and and, and let, let's face the facts. You know, that it's it's a pretty small amount uh, mm -hmm. in this movement compared to how many gay people there actually are, actually are, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of gay people that I know that don't want any involvement with pride month, with any of this virtue signaling with any of this stuff. And it's just crazy. The attention seeking behavior. I mean, that's really what it is. And now they're getting children involved and they're wanting everybody to basically accept them and their lifestyle and, and people you know, it's not that people are trying to, you know, antagonize them or go after them. They just don't want it shoved down their throats. They want it. People want to just live their life and they don't want to hear about what these other people are doing in their bedroom, if that makes sense. Sure. And I get that. And um, I, I also but and, and that's why I look, I don't I haven't I don't share my my personal life in that sense with people. I don't expect people to share that with me. If I had not invited such sharing, which in the case of this Pride Month, I didn't invite that. But um, it's really just a, first of all, it's a massive corporate advertisement or orgy. That's what Pride Month is first, first and foremost. But it's yeah. also, again, it's a reflection of this attempt to bind individual man to his identity. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, that we're more than our moral coils. That's a very significant point to make. Because a lot of people simply think in terms of genes and atoms and physiology and 
my grandmother had this sickness. I might get this sickness. My father had this sickness. My father looked like this. My mom looked like this. You know, a lot of people tend to bind themselves to their lineage yeah. without considering their intellectual heritage. Yeah. Because the intellect is, is the intellect is almost greater than your coil, right? Obviously, the intellect is a product of the brain, and the brain is part of that coil. But the intellect goes higher than that coil. If you understand what I'm saying, there's something greater about you than simply your, your your physicality. But when you say that you have pride in your sexuality, you're reducing yourself to your physicality and ignoring the spiritual value you have as a human being that is so distinct from every other animal in this world. So much so that you can build civilizations after a few thousand years of being on the earth and after millions of years of being on the earth, worms can build nothing more than small holes in the ground. Nice. There's something special about that that people just don't get. And I'm trying to put that thought in people's heads. That's in less than a, in a few thousand years, man can go from the caves to the stars. But in millions of years, birds are still making a little nest up in the tree. They haven't built great cities. They haven't made innovations. We are so fundamentally unique and people don't get it. So I tend to ignore the pride people. I, I, in the past few years, I've done videos on it every pride month. This year, I just want to really ignore it. I want to ignore it because I, people expect you to have an opinion on it and everything because of your identity or whatever. But there are a lot of more important issues I want to talk about. Yeah. I want to talk about the sort of, sort of the rise of globalism in our society. I want to talk about the sort of lack of philosophy within many of our political conversations. I want to talk about the fiscal responsibility that's always on display in the government due to fiat currency being the standard of our day. I want to talk about all those things, but people always get caught up in the, in the social minutia, which again, I'm not saying it's not important. It is important, but it's only important to a certain extent. Right. Right. And, and it's it's about looking at people as human beings and Americans. And like we talked about earlier, not putting people in boxes. I mean, a lot of these people put themselves in boxes when they attend these pride events or these BLM events or they get involved with these woke organizations, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a tendency to categorize people. And in that, in that categorization, not, not wrong categories inherently, but when you categorize someone, you let that consume them, who they are, you lose significance of the human soul. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And, and I want to ask you, how much do you think these corporations are making on these Pride Month, you know? Every... Oh, they're making a lot of money. There's a market for everything. There's a market for every, even the most depraved thing you think you've heard of. There's a market for something even more depraved than that. There's a market for everything. So they're making billions of dollars. Like, in a, oh, yeah. And, and and they, you know, they try to make it out to be like they're for the LGBT community. They're for gay rights. But in reality, it's all about the Benjamins. And too many naive and gullible people actually believe these corporations are on their side, you know, when this is all going on. But, you know, if it's not June, how often do we see these leftist Democrats attack these corporations and call them greed, call them all these names. You know what I mean? 
Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, we do. We do see that quite a lot. Although you've seen that less in common in recent years. See, the rhetoric of the political landscape changes depending on where the cultural winds blow. Yeah. Ten years ago, you would have seen Bernie Sanders going out there attacking these corporations. He probably still does. But you would have seen most Democrats going out there attacking corporations and saying Republicans are actually the vanguard of corporations. Then you see DEI become commonplace. You see a bunch of other these things become commonplace in these big institutions. And almost suddenly, the criticism of corporations is less and less. Now it's by its premise. Now it's other things that are more abstract and ethereal that also seeks to confuse the minds of Americans. So, yeah, it's all very interesting stuff. But, um, no, this has been a pleasure, Roy. I mean, I'm really thankful you uh, had me on. Absolutely. I love having you on. And to conclude here, um, you know, we talked about earlier, before I let you go, we talked about colleges. There's been a lot of reports that have came out in recent months and, and in the last year that within the next five to ten years, half of colleges will most likely close down just with all mm -hmm. the new trades, with all the new trade schools, with charter schools, with all the other alternatives, with people not going to college as much, with all the ways to make money online, to start a business as an entrepreneur. What's your take on this? Yes, and, because, I think, and the price of college, like you mentioned, is becoming I, astrono astronomical. People are spending their entire lives paying off debt, student I debt. The, the rise of the digital age and the rise of the decentralized entrepreneur are going to kill the college industry in America. Think about how that entire industry got its basis in the first place. It did so through social habituation. Mom and dad went to college. Kids go to college. Their kids go to college. If they are go to a fancy enough school, they are legacy. So their kids get into college for an easier standard. And it just perpetuates the cycle of habit that is uncritical, unquestioned, and breeds generations that practice the same thing until there's a break. There's always a break in a revolution. A will's revolution cannot go around forever. A will revolves on its axis, but it can't go around forever. The axis will someday deteriorate and they will break off its hinges. The axis of social behavior in America has broken off its hinges and it is rolling downhill, and the digital age is that rolling axis, that rolling will, that is now free will, as opposed to being stuck to a revolution. That's how I think of it. And right. so that free will and will is going to shed some of its parts. Some parts are going to fall off. Other parts will remain strong, and they will stay until the will reaches its destination. At that point, it can be built upon. So we are in a free will free free willing state right now with the rise of AI, the rise of the digital entrepreneur, the rise of decentralization, which is going to break the college monopolies hold over the minds of Americans. I think in a few generations we're going to see possibly, in my lifetime most likely, the college education industry go out of business, and I'll I'll be very happy when that happens on that day. I'll be incredibly happy. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the quite the scene. Um, it says here, man, you, you've appeared on every, every outlet, Newsmax, Bold TV, BBC, Radio London. Uh, you've done work with the USA Today, The Advocate Magazine, Washington Examiner, Washington Times, man. What? I mean, you're only 23 years old, man. You're doing so much. I appreciate it. I'm trying. I'm desperately trying. This is my, I want this to be my career. This is my career. So I'm trying. Well, I love it, man. I love having you here. We got to get you back soon. Uh, tell everybody yes. where they can get involved, contact you, all that good stuff. Find me on Twitter at official C Watson, and you can find everything else from there. You can also go to my, my website, christianjwatson.com, 
Roy, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure, my friend. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. And God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. It's been a fantastic show. Another episode of Rory Sodder and the news in the books. We will see you all next Friday for another phenomenal program with many notable names in attendance. Until then, I'm Rory Sodder. God bless. Much love. Cheers, everybody. And have a fantastic Memorial Day weekend.